this intro is going to be a little different than the ones that I've done up until this point. You know, to be honest, I've been kind of dreading recording this intro. And before I dive in, let me say what I'm about to say is not reflective of our guest. I'm not speaking about him. I'm not speaking on him. Everything I say from here forward in this intro, it's about me and about how I feel I handled this podcast. And so if that doesn't interest you, feel free to skip ahead and listen for the music and just dive right into the podcast. For those of you still listening, this was a hard podcast. I guess the only real way to put it, or the most honest way to put it, is simply that I'm disappointed in myself and how I handled this podcast. I really like to think of these not as interviews, but just as conversations. And I don't really like to think of myself as the host. I'm just another person in the conversation. I often just reference myself as someone steering the ship. And in this podcast, I was reminded of the role that the host has and all the responsibility that that entails. And quite frankly, I dropped the ball. To sum it all up, if there was one overarching theme across this podcast, it's that I let my emotions get the best of me. For those of you that have listened for a while, I would like to think that I've maintained a pretty pretty reasonable composure throughout most of them up until this point. This one blows everything previously out of the water. It's not crazy, but I let my emotions get the best of me. And the conversation suffered tremendously because of that. It just became unproductive. It was no longer me and our guests discussing ideas and challenging each other's ideas. We began to challenge each other and challenge each other's character. And that's not how I want to do this. That's not what the goal of this is. If there is a goal, it's definitely not that. And the conversation suffered. It just became incredibly unproductive. I ended it pretty abruptly there just because, you know, when you're in a tailspin, sometimes you can't pull out of it. And maybe that's just a lack of experience on my part, which, yeah, it definitely is. And so I just re-ended it. I guess in some way I'm apologizing to you guys. More so I'm apologizing to myself because I expect better of me, especially regarding my emotions. You know, this was a painful podcast. There's just really no other way to put it. It was a painful podcast. But in a way, I am grateful for it. I wish I didn't have to go through it. I wish it hadn't happened. But I recognize the value that it will add. Because we don't grow when we're comfortable. We grow when we go through something painful. And this podcast was my something painful. So I am really appreciative of our guest, if nothing else than for that. Because moving forward, I will be better for having had this podcast. As painful as it was, those are just growing pains. I don't know if me talking about it in this way is doing anything. I just felt 
I wanted to be honest with you guys about what was going through my head for this intro. And I don't know. I mean, it just sucks. Because I expect better of myself. And I, you know, the conversation, it suffered because I didn't maintain the role of what I'm here to do. I don't know if any of that's making sense. Hopefully I didn't just put you guys to sleep and you still want to watch the episode because it was a great episode and even though it got dicey there in the end, it was it was a, a good podcast. A painful podcast, a learning podcast, a podcast that is going to force growth, but also a good podcast. So I will stop talking continue to ponder my life while you and I both welcome our guest. Please give it up for James Falk. doing <laughs> that's always a good sign right yeah yeah no i love this setup man it's perfect yeah it's been it's been fun it's a work in progress we're yeah. always tweaking something yeah yeah no that's cool man uh the, i actually did take a look at some of your stuff and it looks professionally put together and uh very impressed yeah it looks professional and then you walk in here and you're like oh this is not well no I see expected. it's just like the tv studio i mean as long as it looks good from the from the knees to the top of the head you're, you're good that's all that matters you got a black curtain behind me so it's awesome <laughs> so how long have you been recording with pbs and with key uh so um i've been doing headline humboldt for uh well so there's this is the third iteration of the show um it originally started out as north coast perspectives um and uh, I did that for about a year, and then um, that was just an interview show. And then I had um, simultaneously started this show, Conversations, which was uh, so I'm not even exactly sure what the, hell, what the hell the difference was. But we had two shows: one was North Coast Perspectives, and one was one was just Conversations. And then ultimately, um, COVID happened. And we were like, we needed something to be a little bit more newsy um, so that we could provide folks with regular updates about uh, the spreading malaise. And um, so we started doing that. And uh, that ultimately became um, my brainchild. I'd inherited the um, North Coast Perspectives title and set and all that. And then I was able to finally kind of create my own program with Headline Humboldt. Um, and it was more news oriented. I mean, we have like a news section plus the interviews. So it was a little bit of a hybrid um, of both, but I've been a um, so that's the TV part. But I've been um, a journalist and on the North Coast since 2001. Um, I worked at the newspaper for uh, the Time Standard for 10 years. Oh wow! Back since uh, 2001 to 2010. Oh wow! So you have that news background. You were already in the space yeah, prior yeah. to working with Headline Humboldt. Exactly right. And then I uh, I, mean, I I took um, probably five years off. Um, I don't know how much of my story you know, but I got addicted to heroin. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I got arrested. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> That seems to be a recurring theme. We just had um, Brian Hall from the Eureka Rescue Mission. Uh -huh. And he, I think it was, I don't want to misquote him, not meth. 
he was using and yeah. turned his life around and is now running the rescue mission trying to help yeah, people Yeah, helping out a lot of people. Bring him out. Yeah. yeah. He's a great guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so mine was a little bit different because I was a journalist and had, you know, won some awards and I was actually the city editor of the Time Standard and then... Um, that was all prior to prior, using? Oh, wow. Prior to using, yeah. I had a... Um, uh, a knee fracture. Um, I was playing softball back in like probably 2000 or something like that. And I, uh, shattered my knee and, um, I didn't get addicted at that point, but I got, uh, uh, introduced to opiates. And, um, over the course of, uh, you know, a decade, I, um, took them whenever I could get them in terms of, oh yeah, that sounds great. You know, kind of a party drug kind of thing. And then ultimately that led to uh, full on crash and burn, you know, shooting up in the bathroom, uh, homeless, arrested, that kind of thing. And then I quit, um, and that took a while. Uh, but about 2015, I finally got clean, and um, 2017, I got hired at Keat. And um, they hired me knowing that I was a journalist, and I had that background, but I think I needed to prove myself as a stable, you know, law-abiding citizen again. So I did that uh, for a year or so. I did traffic, which is... a uh, um, basically scheduling commercials and stuff for on-air. And then um, slowly the opportunity arose for me to do some on-screen work and then eventually evolved into the show. You just took the opportunity and ran with it. Yeah, no, I, uh, I loved it. I wanted to do that. And then they had a situation where the host for an interview with uh, Representative Huffman um, couldn't do it. And so I stepped in and they loved the results. And then it was just a couple of weeks before they were like, let's do this all the time. Yeah. And so you said it was, was it meth? What was heroin? Heroin. Okay. Heroin. Yeah, yeah. And that arose out of the softball injury. It arose out of the softball injury. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I've pretty much come to realize that, um, addiction in a lot of ways is like an allergy. Uh, I think that some, for some people you try something once, depending on what the drug is. And, um, uh, one person can take it once and it doesn't have any effect. Another person can take it and they're almost instantaneously like enthralled with it. And that's kind of where I was. I'd always had issues with uh, anxiety and social situations, and I found that I was much more comfortable uh, with the edge knocked off with a little bit of drugs, and um, I that slowly became a coping mechanism. Well, and I'm always, you know, fascinated by the idea that it seems as though a lot of injuries predicate drug use. You get injured, you get prescribed whatever painkillers, and the ball gets rolling. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that, unfortunately, it's it's kind of a catch-22 situation because there's people who get injured and they have a lot of pain and they need help. Yeah, you what know? are you going to do? Just sit in yeah, pain? Yeah, watch, and watch them suffer and not give them anything. But, you know, there has to be an acceptance that a certain portion of the population, once they're introduced to that, are going to have a real hard time walking away from it. And then um, there's also the fact that if they're on it consistently for a while, no matter what, they're going to get addicted because just naturally having that stuff in your body over time, it becomes physically, um, you become physically dependent upon it. And then once you're in a situation where, you know, if you wake up in the morning and if you don't have a particular thing, all you can think about is that thing and you feel like total dirt, um, you know, you start doing things to get it because you can't imagine living without it. Um, now, one of the things I was able to do as a result of uh, all of this was um, when I started up at Keat, um, I proposed a, doc a documentary called Addicts Among Us, which um, was basically, I wanted to show people that um, it wasn't just homeless people or people with, you know, who were uh, really, really poor or sort of uh, the typically um, 
you know, uh, marginalized people who get addicted to drugs. It can be anybody. And over the course of my recovery, I had met lawyers and judges and police and, I mean, every walk of life you could imagine who are in recovery who had experienced addiction. And so um, I wanted to kind of uh, erase that idea that it's all you know, people who are weak-willed or of bad character who get addicted. It's everybody. And, um, and wanted to make people, you know, sort of be able to talk about it more. So we did a documentary talking about how, um, you know, addiction starts, about its relationship with uh, trauma. A lot of people who have trauma um, find themselves attracted to opiates and other drugs because it allows them to um, sort of deal with whatever PTSD they might be um, dealing with, allows them to sleep, um, deals with a lot of those symptoms and makes them feel more confident. And uh, also point out that Eureka um, has the unfortunate distinction of being one of the highest uh, addiction rates in the, in the country, but also one of the highest trauma rates for children. So we have a situation here where you have um, a really poorly functioning child welfare system that um, you know perpetuates or at least doesn't rescue kids out of traumatic situations and um, is basically manufacturing future addicts who then go on to have children and traumatize their own kids and so it's like this self-defeating cycle of uh you know bad behavior and addiction and uh at the time when i was making that movie they didn't have any um uh treatment facilities for free like if you wanted to get treatment when i was addicted um, the only place that would take you for free was teen challenge and I don't know if you know anything about that program. It's good for what it is, but you have to be basically a born-again Christian. I was going to say, isn't that a faith-based one yes, as yeah. well? And I have no problem with faith, um, but I actually tried the program. I went in for a week, and I got I had been used to a little bit of recovery from a time I'd spent in rehab before, and it was like, you know... Let's talk about your issue, talk about what drug you take, why do you take it, uh, you know, why do you think you're driven to take it, that kind of stuff. And it was more about just like, you know, give up your addiction to Jesus Christ and he will lift it from you. And um, he might well have done that, but I didn't have the wherewithal to think about it that way. Uh, I'm not a Christian, so that's probably why. <laughs> uh, so um, after a week I left and... Um, I tried every which way to get into any kind of uh, treatment facility, and there just weren't any. Um, there are two. Uh, at the time, there were two. Um, CRC, uh, which is um, a residential facility, and then also there was uh, Crossroads. But those were um, the only way to really get into them was to be arrested and referred by a court. And um, I hadn't been in serious trouble and uh, so I didn't have any way to get recommended for that by a judge, and I didn't have the health insurance to pay for it or the cash in my pocket. Now there is a facility, um, uh, I'm going to forget the name of it, no, uh, Waterfront Recovery, yeah, yeah, that's what it is, um, where the old Mac Center is next to Pepsi-Cola down by Target, and that's a great facility, and they'll put you, uh, you can stay there for as long as, I think, three to six months. And they, uh, it's a dual diagnosis facility, so they also treat uh, mental illness and um, anxiety disorders and that sort of thing, and also help you rebuild your life while serving you good food and giving you a place to live. And that's exactly what was needed. I think we probably need more beds, but it's still um, the answer. I mean, people need treatment. Now, was it hard for you, having been established 
and been successful in your career to then start using? Did you, was that, did that weigh on you? The idea yes. of what am I doing? Like I've, yeah. I've reached where I wanted to go and I'm still climbing and now I'm, I'm backtracking in this way. Yeah, no, that was uh, always the struggle. Um, a lot of shame for one thing, because you're trying to maintain a professional. I mean, I was still trying to be a professional journalist up until I quit when it became a point where I couldn't do the job right. You know what I mean? Like I, I would, you know, I had to get well, they call it get well by like using a little bit in the day and that would allow me to do my work, but I was still trying to keep the, bas the basic minimum standards of the job and do my work. Um, at the point where that no longer became tenable, I quit because I didn't want to um, embarrass the newspaper and I didn't want to get caught and have all that stuff go public. Um, and the idea was, well, I'll clean myself up and then I'll come back or I'll come back in some other position um, at some other, you know, um, news organization. Uh, but that didn't happen. I ended up getting worse and worse and worse and ultimately I got arrested for possession. Um, and uh, that's when the real struggle began because I had thought that if I quit the newspaper and left, then when I got arrested, or if I ever got arrested, it wouldn't be a big deal. It's like, okay, you know, he's no longer that, so that won't be an issue. Well, the chief of police at the time recognized my name when I was busted and sent a press release saying former editor of the Time Standard, James Falk, was arrested for heroin possession. And it became, you know, an immediate thing. It led the Channel 3 News. It was above the fold. And the Time Standard, the journal had a cover story on it. It was just like, bam, there it is. And uh, so that was really, really hard, uh, especially trying to get better um, because I had to forgive myself and I had to also become okay with the fact that some people were just going to judge me no matter what. And a lot of people who I thought were close or friends, um, some of them didn't want to didn't want to have anything to do with me at first. And um, so there was a lot of adjustment to figure out who who were really friends and who weren't. Um, and uh, for the most part, I mean, I'm back in terms of my reputation and all that kind of stuff. Like, I eventually rebuilt it all, and I've, um, but I have a better sense of what's real in terms of the relationships with people that I have. Um, but yeah, no, that was that was very difficult because every time I went somewhere, people would be like, "Oh yeah, you're that guy. You know, you were, you were doing this, and then you got busted for heroin, and um, yeah, it was just hard." Yeah, hard to shake that. Yeah, it was definitely hard. And, um, you know, people just, a lot of people assume that once you're addicted to a drug like that, that you're just lost. And that's not the case. But um, for, you know, people who don't have any experience with it or um, like to think that it's, they're not an addict because they're somehow superior to people who are, um, they're just forever going to judge you. And that's, you know, that says more about them than it says about you, but it's a hard thing to realize when you're used to a certain level of um, respect from your peers and, and whatnot. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but morphine is basically heroin, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the history of that is that uh, morphine was first, and it was highly addictive, and a lot of people got addicted to it. And then so some, I, th I think it was a European... Uh, chemist thought, well, I'm going to invent a type of morphine that's non-addictive. So he invents heroin. <laughs> and sure enough, it helps people get off morphine. But uh, they, they then become, you're just stuck on heroin. You're just stuck on heroin. Yeah, yeah. So um, it, heroin was meant to be the answer for morphine addiction. That didn't work out. And uh, yeah. Same family.
And so are all your like, um, you know, uh, codeine, hydrocodone, um, which is Vicodin. Um, all those are from the poppy plant. Poppy for some different. So one. what is it like being on heroin? Are you still productive? Is it just kind of conk you out and you just are kind of passively there? Because so, that's the idea, right? Is you see the image of somebody sitting on a couch just zoned out with a needle in their arm. Yeah, that's... Um, that's not how it starts. Uh, basically, um, usually people don't start shooting it. Like uh, I started smoking it. Like you, you take a little chunk and put it on a tin, piece of tin foil. And um, I, w- I originally had gotten addicted to pills, like uh, from the pain pills, and it's all the same family. So basically, what happened was I had a steady access to Vicodin for a long time, and that's when I was at the newspaper for the most of the time I was there. The last three years that I was um, using at, at um, the newspaper, it was just a couple of Vicodin pills a day, you know, and it was like, oh yeah, life's better with these and without these, so why not take them? Eventually, uh, it gets hard, harder and harder to get those pills. Um, and at the time, there was sort of an awakening, both here and nationally, to the, to the you know, reality of uh, the pharmaceutical um, pushing of pain medication. Uh, that was right when uh, OxyContin was breaking huge. And so um, those drugs dried up. And um, unfortunately, um, if you know the the right or the wrong kinds of people, you can get heroin on the street. That's a lot cheaper. It lasts a lot longer. And, um, you know, it's just available more so than the, the pain meds. Um, the problem is, is that uh, you, you get a lot higher and then you also get a lot more addicted. And then, um, you know, it's, an, it's a, an accelerating process. So you start by, like, I basically woke up sick and hated that feeling. And then I was in a band and I've been a musician for years. So I have always known people who were kind of like, you know, oh, yeah, I can get this or I can get that. And um, one of my musician friends knew um, where to get Oxy. So I was doing Oxy for a little while. And then it was like, you know, this is so expensive. Let's just pay $20 and get this little black piece of tar that you could throw on a thing and then you're well for the whole day. Well, that's uh, worked for the first couple days. <laughs> and then you smoke more and smoke more and um, it eventually becomes an issue. Now, um, I was hanging out with people who are obviously... Um, maybe not the best character, not that heroin users aren't of good character, but these particular gentlemen weren't, um, at least at that time, um, weren't uh, thinking clearly or whatever. Anyway, one guy uh, at one point says that the only way I didn't have any money and I needed to get uh, some heroin because I was really sick, and he's basically like, the only way I'm going to give it to you is if you shoot it up. And so uh, I thought about it for about five minutes, and I'm like, sure. So he uh, shot me up in my neck, the first time and it knocked me on my ass like you talk about where it's just like and uh and that was the first time i did it and the only time i did it for a while but then eventually the smoking of it didn't do enough for me and it just kept accelerating and so then it was like well then i'll start shooting it up and i'll do it in places where no one's going to notice and um eventually um you get to the point where you need it to just be functional so you're not walking around dazed and confused most of the time because that costs a lot of money to get into that state you just use enough to be able to wake up in the morning and go to the go to work or go to the store without sweating and um, having muscle spasms and i don't know if you can cuss on here or not oh yeah yeah okay or without shitting yourself 
So, which uh, is ideal. I don't think you want to. You do don't want to do that in yeah. public, especially. You want to avoid that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, eventually, just uh, it turns into a, a mode of survival. Now, you want that. I mean, like the addict, that point where you're like kind of slumped out and you you nod out, you know, which is what they call it. That um, is your happiest moments because that's the feeling that you're always chasing, but it becomes increasingly hard to hard to get there. Just ch it's the idea of chasing the dragon. Yeah, exactly right. It's just this vicious cycle where the further you go, the the, the more harder you, it is to get there. Yeah, and yeah. The, the deeper you have to go to just maintain. Exactly right. Yeah. So, how instrumental for you was doing that documentary? Was that uh, kind of like a catalyst moment where you could put all these pieces together and see? Yeah, oh, this is like a vicious cycle for everyone that's involved. Well, I mean, th there's. I mean, you know, I knew the the cycle part of it, you know, the and the um, what what the addiction element of it was. For me, the the documentary worked in tandem with a column I used to write for the Lost Coast Outpost uh, called Dead Reckoning. So uh, after I'd gotten clean, I um, I got a job at a cemetery. Uh, I was an office manager, and it was after I got clean. I was still kind of wrestling with it, so I wasn't totally clean all the time, but I was doing a lot better. And um, I started writing this column for the Lost Coast Outpost. And that was, when I got that column, um, that's when things turned around for me. Like I was, I basically used it as like a, a form of therapy. And, um, and this is what led, led to the later documentary is that I, um, I wrote a lot about um, trauma that I'd experienced as a child. Uh, my dad was a paranoid schizophrenic and, um, you know, did the kind of shit that, crazy people do and uh so writing about that and then it started with the cemetery and like dealing with issues of life and death and sort of set the tone for the the column and then um i basically explored um all my issues in, in this column that i did for two and a half years i'm and, sorry to interrupt you can you pull that out just a little bit away from yep perfect yep, okay um yeah so uh Basically, that allowed me to um, plumb my own kind of depths and figure out like why I was driven to use um, and uh, kind of figure out my own addiction. And so by the time I got to the newspaper, I had all of that. Um, I had done a lot of thinking about it and I had a lot of energy uh, put away into trying to um, take it all apart and like figure out how I'd ended up where I was. And... Um, I knew I wanted to do a project, and my, at the time I thought it was going to be a book. Um, but then, uh, having the working at a public television station, I was like, "Well, maybe I can propose it as a as a documentary," and um, that's what we ended up doing. And I did some enough research to figure out that the trauma element of it was something that had happened that happens to most people who are addicted, and. Um, so I was able to kind of connect my story with a couple other folks who were also in the documentary. And um, uh, we got significant amount of grant money from um, various local institutions who were kind enough to chip in. And um, I think we connected with quite a few people. We won some awards. And um, that was really the point where I felt like I had taken this experience I had and turned it into something valuable and worthwhile um, in terms of this documentary and my story and mainly freely communicating that yes i was an addict but that's not all i am and that um i can use this experience to help other folks and um you know uh, maybe improve 
the situation a little bit. And by doing so, I got my, um, my confidence back in terms of journalism and led to the, the show that we've been doing for a couple of years now. Well, and that's, that's another aspect, right? You talked about the trauma. And when you were referencing the child trauma, is that in relation to just social services, kids in the system, kids in general? Any kind of trauma. Uh, basically like uh any kind of uh you know trauma that uh um makes it when you experience trauma and if you don't process it or if you don't have the help that you need a lot of times it becomes uh it expresses itself in various uh um you know it manifests yeah it manifests in anxiety and uh antisocial behavior and not being able to uh, focus and you know a lot of the things that we, when you see troubled kids a lot of what you're seeing on the surface is the stuff that comes from trauma and so um i had not had those symptoms as much like i was fine in school and i mean i wasn't the best student but i wasn't the worst but i uh, certainly had a lot of anxiety like uh I mean, sometimes it was crippling, and um, what I was doing with the uh, um, opiates was the same thing I'd done in um, college with weed and beer, and what I'd done in high school with, with weed it was basically self-medicating. And um, I needed to learn how to deal with that anxiety because without any kind of you know chemical crutch, I found it really, really hard to just go out and be and... Um, you know, uh, be real. Like I couldn't, I was never at my best because I was always basically crippled with all the self doubt. And, um, you know, basically since my dad was a paranoid schizophrenic, he was prone to act out randomly at weird times and have basically nonsensical, uh, uh fits of anger. And so that made it so where, you know, later on in life, if things are at all unpredictable to me, I had a real hard time emotionally handling that. But I, I would be much better at it if I was sedated. And so I just kept myself sedated. And so that's where the trauma kind of informs it, I guess. Just looking for that escape. Yeah. And trying to be normal. I mean, again, it's like all anybody really wants is to be able to live their life and be happy and not be burdened by the, you know, the swirling, whatever you want to call it, the doubts and all that. And, um, you know, some people can do that with just uh, by being. Other people need a lot of exercise, whatever. You know, it's a struggle. Life is a metaphysical uh, struggle from the moment you're born to the moment you die where you're like you're basically this little consciousness bubble floating around with all these other consciousness bubbles and you can't really connect with anyone else. You can hear them talk and maybe they're telling you the truth, but maybe they're not. And it's all this uh, angst-ridden um, you know, fight to figure out who you are and what you are and what you want to be and um, what makes you happy. And, um, you know, that's a hard thing for everybody. And for some people, they turn to, um, you know, drugs and alcohol to, to deal with it. And trauma just makes it infinitely more difficult. Well, and you were in the two positions where a lot of drug use is attributed, right? Being a musician mm -hmm. is tied to drinking and, and using drugs. And journalism now <laughs> yeah. is tied to that. Is that pretty prevalent? No. It's not. It's just... I think it's an old... Uh, I think that there used to be a time when, you know, the editor had the bottle of scotch in the bottom drawer and the hard-drinking newspaper man. Uh, that's not the journalism really of today. Um, I think that uh, it's like most other things. It's it's evolved now. To some point, and you know, in some ways, I think it's become a lot more boring. <laughs> uh, but people are... Uh, 
you know, they're caught up in the, the whole cultural milieu of uh, being um, proper and politically correct and not misbehaving, which is probably a good thing. But yeah, that's all, a, I think, a cliche from the old days. What about Adderall use? That's the one that I've always heard. Is journalists, journalists using Adderall to stay up to write whatever story they have to write? I wouldn't doubt that's a thing. I never saw it. Um, and, uh, you know, I've done speed a few times and I would, ne- I would never want to, ha- would never have wanted to publish anything I wrote under the influence of speed <laughs> because, uh, you know, you have a lot of ideas that you think are just the greatest thing in the world. And then it's turns out they're not. <laughs> yeah. It's just a jarbled mess. Yeah. A jarbled mess. Of... Like, this doesn't make any sense. Nobody's going to want to read this. Nobody's going to want to read or, or you'll have a couple of great nuggets, but you know, it's get buried lost under in... trash. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So what is it like, you brought up kind of the cultural aspect of today. What is it like being in news today where you have those, the stigma of fake news and who do we trust? Who can, oh my God. Who's really telling us the truth? What's real? What's not? Yeah, okay. Uh, so here's the deal with that. I, I am not one of those people who's going to sit here and say that I'm an impartial journalist. Uh, and maybe that disqualifies me from being a journalist, um, but I don't think so. Essentially, people are actively trying to turn people against truthful information because they have a uh, an agenda to to sell, right? And uh, I, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and say that largely it's the right wing of this country, only because that's the actual reality of it. Um, we've gotten to this point where I think that reflexively we want to make everything that has to do with politics he said, she said. If a Democrat says something, well, then you want to go and you want to find a Republican to say something else. Um, I think that after 2017, when Donald Trump won the election, um, that paradigm had to go um, because there was only one side. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, that Democrats have a monopoly on the truth, but in terms of the party structures, one turned against um, the truth and the other continued with the same kind of Weasley games that it always played, which is, I'm going to tell you half-truths, and I'm not going to be fully forthcoming about what our problems are, but they still have a fundamental relationship with, like, data and what's real. Like, if anything, they try and skirt the edges, but they're still dealing in the real world. The other side, um, and I think that, uh, I don't know why, I mean, I'm always going to be mystified by why Donald Trump was able to capture the imagination of so many people. But um, he was able to um, basically convince half the country that if he said something wasn't true, it just wasn't true. Um, And I don't know if you call that charisma or what, but um, that's made it really challenging um, because like if I'm doing a if I'm interviewing, um, you know, uh, Congressman Huffman and, um, you know, we're talking about certain things, I'm not going to uh, I don't feel like I have to give him the party line from the right in order to feel like I've given him a thorough, you know, run for his, uh, you know, journalistic, whatever, you know, I'm, I don't know, not saying that very clearly, but basically like I, I'm confident enough in my ability to research issues and figure out what the truth most likely is and, um, approach each question and each interviewee from that perspective rather than, uh, allowing either political party to dictate what the truth is because i once you do that now um 
I think that you're 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 lost. It's like you have to be able to establish your own truth, and that means you have to be able to tell people in positions of power when you don't think they're telling the truth. And I, I wish that that was something that more um, journalists would be able to do in terms of like you know all this fake news stuff that's been uh, cast about and uh, all the you know uh, the media is the enemy of the state um, kind of stuff. It's like we have to be willing to um, get in the ring a little bit with um, uh, f- for the debate to be able to establish a baseline of reality. Well, I don't think anybody wants the debate, right or left. Which debate? The debate about what is true and what's not true. Yeah. I think it's easy to attribute a lot of that to the right, and I think that is warranted, but the left does skirt the edge of Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that neither side is an honest broker necessarily, but it's just that one side, like, I think the right basically decided that they wanted to stay in power so much that they were willing to sell anything to their followers and so that was an acceleration. But I don't think you can, the journalist, the role of the journalist is to find out what the truth is and then approach the people in power with that truth and force them to deal with that, whether or not they're Democrats or Republicans. It's like, uh, you know, um, you can't just like, uh, you know, Donald Trump said that uh, this is, that COVID's not this or COVID's that. And then, uh, you know, whoever Hillary Clinton said, you know, it is this or it is that. And that's becomes the, the debate that we get caught up in. It's like, no, COVID-19 is highly contagious. COVID-19 is all these things. Um, that's the fact, you know, then you approach the Donald Trump's of the world and say, this is what's going on. Uh, you know, what are your opinions on it or what are you going to do about it? And, um, you know, if they go off on their thing, the other problem about all this is, is that we have media organizations who cater to, either side now which uh well that's all they do i'm exactly right i mean some of them there are still i I mean i think there are still organizations out there who are trying to be honest you know reporters of the news but like fox news and to some extent msnbc um they they just like have their audience and that's who they want to affirm it's like we want to you know preach at you about stuff that you already believe and i that that's not the most constructive uh behavior for journalists it's not even slightly constructive. No. that's It's detrimental. It's destructive. Yeah. It goes against... <laughs> and obviously, I'm not a journalist. So I'm speaking from outside the lines here. But that oh, seems like it goes against what journalism is all about. Finding the truth and expressing that. And yeah, you're going to be biased, but try not to put your flair on it. Try to just put it out there. Yeah. And that doesn't happen. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's... Like I said, there's people who are doing good work and the people who aren't, you know? Um, I think the Washington Post and the New York Times have done some stellar work. I, I don't agree with everything their editorial pages, you know, to say or stand for. But overall, actually, I think our print media um, has uh, performed admirably over the last five or six years, you know, with everything that's gone on. Um, a lot of investigative stuff, a lot of uh, um, aggressive reporting. Um, I think that our, I think the cable, I mean, TV journalism has been problematic because they end up chasing the sensation, you know, anything that'll get people to lock eyes on the TV screen rather than, um, you know, actually search for, for real problems. But it's like, there is the question, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? It's like, yeah, we talk about how journalists, uh, you know, have these uh, lower standards or are doing things that just kind of uh, lowest common denominator that gets them the most views. But that's what people are interested in too. You know, it's like people reward them 
for that behavior by tuning in. So to some extent, we can blame the media for the, the state of, you know, our national debate. But we also have to kind of take a look in the mirror. It's like, well, what are we as a public interested in? And that pub and that interest is um, conveyed to the news by eyeballs. And so, I mean, if we really wanted to fix it, then we would just stop watching the crappy stuff and force them to give us something more, you know, substantive. But um, people don't want to do that. People don't want to do that. People like what they like, you know. And that's like Fox. Fox has a business model where they have basically a 40% of the news-watching population totally captive to their content because they're the only one delivering it. So they have no motivation uh, to change. I mean, and you'd think, well, maybe civic, you know, like goodwill, but that's not what they're about. And that's not how uh, business decisions get made. Yeah, it's the cult of personality now. That's what you get when you watch those shows. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's like, it's the same thing. Um, it's like with the MSNBC, you have Rachel Maddow, and you have some of the bigger names there. And then with Fox, you have, uh, you know, Sean Hannity or Tucker Carlson, who I think is a loathsome human being. Now, I mean, I watch, uh, I've watched both of those shows, and I try to, like, be as impartial as possible but watching those two shows like rachel's practicing journalism she's an advocacy journalist like she takes a position um but tucker carlson is a hate monger <laughs> so it's, it's like i i don't want to equate the two necessarily and i and i hope it's not just because i agree with one more than the other but at the same time like again rachel for the most part is dealing with actual information and people but that's not 100 percent true she's she's had she some moments definitely She's out here swinging. I, the problem yeah. is the left has morality on its side. Yeah. The left is trying to fight the good fight, trying to help people. You have this veil of we're doing a just cause. The right is out here just swinging from the hip. Yeah, because they want to win. That's their but bottom the left, line. But it, they're two sides of the same coin. One just has the cape of we're doing it for justice, and the other yeah. you could tie to religion or you could tie to Yeah, you know, and from a slightly different perspective, you're thinking that the right is fighting the fight to, I mean, if people are anti-abortion and if they believe that life starts at, you know, inception or conception. This is the party trying to save babies. Yes, exactly right. So that's, how could you be any better than that? You know, it's all a matter of perspective. Uh, So yeah, and that's, uh, it's, it's all relative, I guess, is what it boils down to. But I mean, I think the left has to be careful about that whole fighting for justice thing, because if people disagree with the left, and that's where this whole cancel culture debate comes down. It's like, I think that people on the left would be a lot better served if they were like dispensing advice about how we could all be more welcoming. And like, you know, it's like, maybe we shouldn't, you know, use these words that are offensive or maybe we shouldn't, you know, um, but that's not what's happening. It's like, there is a certain percentage of people on the left and maybe it's just Twitter culture or whatever. But if someone does something that isn't quite within the, the pocket of politically correct, they get hammered. And so people resent that, and then they start thinking that, you know, everyone on the left is just out to judge them and make them feel like dirt or make them feel like ignoranuses. So they don't want to, like, even engage with that because it makes them feel inferior and less than. And so I think the left starts to alienate a lot of people, which is what's part of what's fueling, I think, the explosion of the right-wing, you know, machine. I agree with that. I think in a lot of ways, both sides are fueling the fire on the other. Yeah. On the on those polar extremes, right? The left 
it's almost that elitist mentality of absolutely this is what's right and you might disagree but that's because you're wrong exactly right yeah and you are like somehow operating under a paradigm that's kept people enslaved for you know two thousand years and it's like really heavy stuff about like you know your morality because you're not following along with whatever the party line happens to be at that particular moment and it's always shifting so there's always going to be times when you're somehow off that line. Yeah, you're never you're never a hundred percent in line because they keep moving the goalposts. Exactly right. So you get caught often outside of it. That's what I mean with them. They have that morality cape, mm-hmm. is they can just use. Oh well, you're feeding into a system of oppression. white supremacy or oppression or the yeah. patriarchy, yeah. or you don't care about X, Y, and Z. So you're just wrong, and we get to disregard everything you say because you're wrong. Yeah, exactly right. And you represent something that's, you know, inherently evil in a lot of ways. Uh, You know, I don't know what I think about a lot of that stuff. I went to HSU, and when I went there, I had a hard time because of all of this stuff. You know the debate right now about uh, critical race theory? Well, that's what the English department at HSU taught um, when I was there. And when when did you go there? Um, 1998 to 2001. And you saw all of this kind of brewing even back then? Yeah, within the uh, English program at HSU, definitely. Um, There had been a switch from – I signed up as an English major thinking I was going to read books about literature and, you know, study the great authors and um, learn what they were doing that was so good and, you know, how I could learn how to do some of that because I'm a writer, you know, and I wanted to write and write well. Um, But it quickly became clear that the classes were actually more about – flipping the paradigm of what's considered uh, the canon and um, re-examining who we think are quality writers and uh, changing the representation. So instead of the people that I thought I would be studying, I ended up uh, studying a lot of like, uh, um, you know, African-American lit as a class and um, uh, uh, a lot of uh, um, gay fiction or gay literature. Uh, I'm trying to remember um, Audre Lorde. There was several people that we focused pretty heavily on. And now, so I loved it, right? Like I didn't mind the writing and I, and there were some really exciting stuff that I encountered as the, um, in the curriculum. What I didn't like was that they, um, there kind of became this philosophical uh, litmus test about like how you write an A paper was like, you know, you had to throw the word paradigm, you know, <laughs> you basically had to check off all these boxes about how you were seeing through um, the fallacy of these old value judgments about what made something literature or not. And um, I, I just, I was like, I didn't want it to be political. Um, it wasn't even necessarily that I disagreed with what they were saying as much as it was like, I thought we were going to study writing and like what's good about writing and how, uh, how to interpret it. And, but the, the focus was, there was even a move at one point to change it from, uh, the English program to cultural criticism where you could just, uh, basically you would, um, you'd analyze text to, uh, pull out, you know, how language is used to perpetuate authority and power relationships and uh you know to determine what it's saying about the uh, the society overall um so i saw that coming um but so how do you handle something though where all of that is true right people have been oppressed that has happened um people whole groups of people were excluded from um you know the uh, attention of the masses because they weren't 
published or they weren't uh, put in front of people in schools. You know, basically people were denied access to some serious uh, um, genius from a lot of these groups. Um, that being said, that doesn't any in any way lessen the genius of, you know, the Hemingways or the Faulkners or the classic, you know, old white man authors that uh, were were so prevalent, you know, in the in the mid 20th century. How do we accommodate both? Like, I mean, my my thinking is that we should include more, but not reject things necessarily because of who wrote them. Um, and that's kind of where I ended up at the end of that program. But uh, it's it's an interesting dilemma. It's like those things happened to some extent that needs to be ameliorated. The, the, the canon needs to be broadened, but how do we do it in a way that isn't just knee jerk and doing the exact opposite thing where you're just now excluding one other, a different group of people and including, you know, the formerly subjugated or still subjugated. I mean, you know, and that's the thing. It's like those problems haven't gone away. I mean, the police shootings still happen. Like there are still real impacts of racism on this country. How do we, how do we handle that in a real way without alienating, you know, most of the country or the, the white portion of the country? These are heavy, maybe unanswerable questions. I don't know. Well, it's it's difficult in that nobody wants to acknowledge people are not black and white, mm-hmm. that there is a good and there is a bad. I take George Washington. There was a time where people wanted to cancel him. because yeah. People still the, do. Yeah, because yeah. he's ties to slavery. Yeah. But are we just going to wash him out from history, even though he, you know, was our first president, helped found the country? Did and did great amazing, things. Did great things. Yeah, yeah. We're just going to wash that because of, he was in a time period that we don't understand and did things that we can't relate to? Yeah, that's, uh, I had this discussion with my son, who is uh, starting at CR and is a bright kid. And we have a lot of, like, really heavy discussions about this kind of thing. And we were talking about how it's complicated. And that's really what it boils down to. It's like, nothing is simple. Nothing is, people are not simple. Their motivations aren't simple. There's no easy way to like say that this person is good or this person is bad or that this action was good or this action was bad. It's enormously complex. So like you look at Washington, you look at Jefferson. I mean, Jefferson had a baby with his slave, right? Like, and you know, he he would probably say he was in love with her, but whether or not she was in love with him, she wouldn't have had a choice. You know, if he wanted to, he was going to. Um, and, uh, you know, they've found the DNA among his slaves that he certainly fathered children with Sally Hemings. Does that mean that anything that he ever did or, you know, any, any act or word that he wrote is somehow from that point on corrupted? I mean, this is the guy who wrote the Declaration of Independence, which established... You know, or a pretty important document. Pretty important document, and inspired millions. You know, the world over. But he had this thing that happened. I mean, so I guess from my mind, you have to you know acknowledge the things that he did, and that he was not the perfect person. He's not the godlike, you know, founding father on the hill. I think we need to do away with that notion that these people are are. Um, beyond reproach, which I think that, um, you know, sometimes now there's this culture of worship around the founding fathers. It's like with originalism and the, and the Supreme Court, it's like they're, you, they deify these movements and the, the history when, you know, they are human. So they did things that were good. They did things that were bad. They were both, you know, inspired and, um, you know, sometimes scandalous, uh, 
they're just like every human being that's alive today. So you have to take the good with the bad. But people, it's not easy to do that because you either want to root for a side or you want to root against a side. And that's where those debates have ended up, you know. It's sad. Yeah, it is. It's a sad time for discourse. It is. And for history. That's the crazy thing is most people don't even understand history, myself included for the most part. And yet they just pick these points and attack them and want to tear them down. And it's back to the moving goalpost thing. There's never enough. There's never, it's it's never going to be enough. If we pull down all the statues of the past presidents, if we rewrite history, it's not going to stop. It's yeah. just going to move on to the next thing. Yep. The next battle, the next cross we have to bear. Yep. And the way that our society seems to have worked, it's like things come into vogue and then things go out of vogue. So, Almost just as fast. Yeah. And so it's like, we. I think we should be careful about like, how how far we go into each of these like you know um trendy ideas about various things realizing that the people who follow us aren't necessarily going to feel the same and if we're trying to limit what the people who follow us can think about certain things then that's that's a really a problematic notion you know what i mean it's like are we taking down, you know, statues of former presidents because we don't want anyone following us in the history of the United States to ever look on these people and think, oh, what a genius because he had done this, this, and this? Well, who are we to say how these people should feel about anything or how anybody should feel? At the same time, you know, having bases named after Confederate generals um, and people who fought a war to defend, you know, that institution and, were her, and who were rebellious against the United States, that doesn't make much sense. Again, it's it's all complicated, you know. <laughs> yeah, the Confederacy aspect is weird. You should support that, though. If you think about it realistically, mm-hmm. people rising up against the country, why would you want to celebrate? Well, that's, yeah. And, and they try to use the cultural ties, which, yeah, I, I get, but you still revolted against the country. Yeah, no matter We're gonna what. We're going to celebrate that now that we've come back together. Yeah. Well, and, I, and if you think about it, I think that the... Um, with the whole Confederacy thing, allowing that stuff to like um, fester, like basically after Reconstruction, um, you know, uh, Andrew Johnson realized or didn't really want to like make the South kind of become more like the North philosophically. So he kind of just went hands off. And then that led to a bunch of awful stuff, including the Ku Klux Klan and uh, lynchings and all that. Um, but basically, we let them developed this kind of perverse civic pride in the fact that they had tried to rebel and had failed. And that, I think, led directly to the white the establishment of white supremacy in, in the South for, you know, the next hundred years. Um, I, I think that that directly ends us up where we are right now. I mean, I think that what we see as the, uh, you know, with Charlottesville and the um, uh insurrection at at the Capitol building and all that, I think is, is directly descended from the uh, defeat of the Confederacy. I think that it's all one intellectual movement that is basically thought that it was, I mean, I think it was like kind of subterranean for people for a long time, but then Donald Trump gave expression to a lot of those ideas. And um, I think that they, a lot of people who weren't voting, who felt disenfranchised, suddenly rallied to his cause. And then you have, you know, 30% of the country right now who who would prefer this were a uh, white Christian ethno state, you know. 
30%. Well, maybe not. That's an exaggeration. But I would say 15 to 20 of Republicans right now are fully behind the idea of Christian nationalism. Yeah, but do you think they want that tied to race as well? Or do you think that they just want the religious aspect back in place? I don't know the percentages of how many of them are truly racist, and I I hesitate to put a number on it. I would want to think that it's small. I, I would want to think... think that. But there are, I mean, there are, so that's an interesting question because there are people who are racist and don't know they're racist. Um, and what I mean is by that, th- like the, that's a slippery slope. Is that like the microaggressions thing? No. Okay. No, no. Microaggressions uh, is irritating garbage. Do you subscribe? Okay. Yeah, yeah. No. We're on the same page with that. Yeah. I mean, people go to college. They used to go to college so that they could defend their points of view against all comers, right? Like you go to college and all of a sudden you have all these different peoples of all these different opinions, like in a debate and you have to defend your position and like, you know, come off looking like you know what you're doing. That's what getting a college education was about. Microaggression suddenly becomes, well, I'm offended. So we're not allowed to talk about that anymore. Shuts down conversation. Yeah. That's just garbage. That's, I have no, uh, I have no tolerance for that. Um, I also, though, I mean, I think it's okay for people to say, well, you know, that offends me and then explain why it offends you. But the the cancellation of the argument and like shutting down of things, especially when it's not blatantly or not even intended as some kind of racist remark, I think that that's more damaging than anything. Uh, But there are people who um, operate within a system of thought where I think it's totally possible for people to... Um, judge other people based on uh, race, sexual orientation, gender, uh, 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 sexual identity, all those things without really processing what it is that they are feeling about it. Like uh, a lot of dudes I know um, say, well, I have no problem with uh, people being gay, but they're really, really uncomfortable around gay people, you know, or I have no problem with uh, transgender folks but they are they, they have like a visceral reaction to people who are transgender when they encounter them. Um, a lot of people who like, I don't hate black people, but I'm not comfortable being around black people. Or, you know, I think there's a lot of levels that people operate on. And so do all racists need to actively think that they hate um, people of a different, you know, um, race in order to be racist? No, not at all. I think a lot of those... Um, uh, inclinations operate on subconscious levels. I mean, institutional racism, um, the idea that systems are set up to perpetuate certain things, like the fact that so many black people end up in prison um, where, uh, you know, are you saying that there are not as many white people are breaking that those laws? No, but more of the law enforcement effort is centered in black neighborhoods. Why is that? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, there may be actual concrete reasons that Aren't, that don't have to do with like um, race. race. Well, we could tie that especially to economic status. You yes, which where is where people are predominantly located in these poorer regions. Yeah, and higher police presence, higher gang presence, higher violence, higher and class. Crime. You know, but the but the thing is, is like if you go back and you look at like the uh, levels of wealth within the black community and what happened after racism. I mean, basically in 1865, they were all set free and had no wealth whatsoever and have never really had a chance to accumulate wealth because the systems in the South and elsewhere didn't allow them to own property or they did, but then they made it hard for people to buy homes. There's been a lot of structural limitations to the black community in terms of acquiring wealth. So they've never been able to dig themselves out of the hole that slavery created 
Um, and so now we're in a position where, yeah, a lot of the poor neighborhoods are black. Um, One Latino now, I believe. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know the numbers, um, but not white. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, but I, I come from a poor white background, so I know that, like, um, people talk about privilege, which is a touchy word. Like, I didn't feel like I had privilege growing up. You know, I mean, I was, my, my dad was a paranoid schizophrenic. My mom, he couldn't work. My mom worked. We were on welfare. You know, we moved around from roach-ridden apartments to, you know, grandma's house. And so I didn't feel like I actively had any advantages that anyone else had. Um, but I also had a best friend who was Hispanic uh, as a kid. And um, he was dealing with a lot of different things that I never had to deal with in terms of, like, people just judging him off the, you know, uh, off the bat because of the color of his skin or assuming that because he was Mexican, he was going to be lazy or, um, you know, just a lot of things that I was there to experience with him um, because we hung out together all the time. Like we went to uh, uh, um, a supermarket and he got tackled in the parking lot because someone had thought that he had stolen something and he hadn't stolen anything. But this dude came flying out of the store and it was actually a, um, it was in Modesto, California. And the uh, the guy who tackled him was a, teammate on the football team with my brother older brother and he comes out and he does this like flying you know tackle of a 10 year old kid who was my best friend thinking that he'd stolen something and he hadn't and you know i mean to get down to it do i really know that that happened because he was a mexican no but it sure seems suspicious and i didn't get tackled <laughs> so i mean all those co i mean all those problems are are like complex and i don't I can't pretend to know the answers to whether or not, you know, I mean... I don't think anybody knows the answers. No, and no one the does. The point is just having the discussion. Yeah. That's I, what seems to be lost today is we can't even talk about exactly it. Exactly right. And I think that we need to all be real. It's like, what do we really know and what do we suspect about this stuff? You know, I mean, I think that um, the number one thing to, for my mind is just to be compassionate. Like, to understand that both for people who are poor white and poor black and people all over the middle, it's like... Everyone is struggling with something, and uh, I think that it all boils down, to, hopefully, to our common humanity and uh, maybe focusing on more of our commonalities and our differences would uh, help solve those problems. That's my fear is that this rise in, in attributing everything to race and acknowledging race is just creating a bigger divide between everyone. That instead of actually solving some of these problems or addressing these issues, everything now is a race-based problem. And we're just talking about it. We're just pointing it out. This is a problem. This is a problem. And nobody's doing anything because everything is a problem. So how do you fix everything all at once? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's true. Um, but that gets sort of at the issue of what people talk about as privilege. If like if you're a, a white guy or you, you pass as a white guy or whatever, um, you're, you have the privilege of being like, I don't want I don't think race should be considered because like an African-American man or a, uh, you know, an Asian, but doesn't that in itself, they are faced with it every day. Yeah, but it isn't saying that them. in itself saying that white people don't experience racism. Isn't yes. that a statement? Yes. Do you believe that? So this is a touchy subject. Do I think that, do I think that there are prejudiced people of color? Absolutely. What about racist? Okay, we'll see. Racism in, implies power structures. So, yes, but then that this is what I learned at HSU. But in, in <laughs> questioning that, that implies that black people cannot have power. No, it's it's basically acknowledging that in uh, our current dominant society, 
the black um, experience is not in power. Okay, but what does that mean? Because we've had a black president. And I know everyone, okay. I always throw that out there. We've and had I a black get... president immediately followed by Donald Trump. Yeah, but we've never had a female president. We've never had a Mexican president, a Chinese president. So well, are all those people lower. We had a woman lower... win the election. <laughs> yeah, but are all those people lower on the totem pole then than black people? I don't if think we're it's... doing, if we're slating I don't think this that's out. Even... As... I don't think that's even, I don't think it has to do so much with which individuals are elected to power as much as it has to do with what the dominant cultural and racial mix is of the the engine of the country and the sort of the conscious of the country like and i don't even know i couldn't even tell you right now like what was interesting about the election between barack obama and uh donald trump to me was that it was like we were in two different countries it's like before when barack obama was president we felt like we had arrived at a place like like somehow we had a black president and everyone seemed cool with it and like maybe we'd arrived at this place that was more enlightened than where we'd been before and maybe we could begin to think of our country in a different way right and i was proud of that i went to barack obama's inauguration the, in 2008 i was within probably 100 yards of him as he swore his Put his hand on the Bible and swore in. I could have hit him with a baseball. Oh well, that would have been a bad idea. Yeah, not, you wouldn't have made it for. <laughs> but um, there was that, and then the country reacted. And now, well, you can't say that because he served two terms, so it wasn't necessarily a reaction against. You don't him. think Donald Trump was a reaction to Barack Obama? I think Donald Trump was a reaction against people feeling unheard and that their ideas were suppressed, and finally they had a poster child to represent them. And so they came out in force. I don't think it was necessarily tied to Obama. I think if Trump had came out before Obama, he might have won. Yeah. It was just all these people that felt like they didn't have a voice now did have a voice and had somebody to talk for them. See, as I see it, basically we had a um, a whole class of people that usually didn't vote, didn't care about politics, felt like politicians never spoke for them, right? Um, and then... A black person got elected, and I, I mean, I experienced this personally with people that I knew who were like, oh, oh we got this N-word um, as president now, like, you know, really um, angry about the fact that, you know, we lived in a world that had allowed this to happen. And that was immediately manifested by Barack Obama's election with the whole Tea Party movement. There was like this actual, uh, you know, actualization of resentment where like this whole class of people... Um, reacted against anything that Obama had to do, things that were reformerly um, Republican ideas, like the whole Obamacare thing that came from Mitt Romney in Massachusetts, which was an originally a Republican proposal. So no matter what Barack Obama did, there was nothing he could do that would uh, be approved of by the, uh, by the right. And I think that that was absolutely because he was black. The whole thing about like his birth certificate, like... That the birth never certificate was crazy. Yeah. That well, was pretty crazy. And it's like, you know, his name, Barack Obama, he had to be Muslim. Like all these things that had never been said about a president before because he was black and his name was Barack Obama. And so we had eight years of that and virtually nothing got done because the Republican Party said that we we're going to focus and Mitch, uh, Mitch Turtleman O'Connell said that I'm not going to, uh, my whole purpose is to make sure that Obama is a one-term president and then to stop any long-term legacy of Obama from unfolding. And uh, 
I think that he did that because of the anger the base experienced at having a black president, even though they never actually said that. And then, uh, or some, some did, but most didn't. And then uh, immediately after that, all that class of people that hadn't voted up to that point, who are sort of like the silent, you know, disenfranchised um, people on the edges, um, they had a candidate come forward in the Republican primary who began to say the things out loud that they had all been feeling when Barack Obama was president, like, you know, all Mexican are rapists and all the other uh, code, coded language uh, and not so coded language that he threw out during the campaign. So they had someone to vote for and they were pissed off because Barack Obama had been president. So those two things pushed um, Trump ultimately into power, even though he won with a minority, you know, of votes. I know we have a fly. We got to stop leaving the door open because we got to fly in and out, hanging out. Yes, I'm sure it was a factor. I would argue a small factor, though. Okay. Because yeah. I think if it was a bigger one in 2012, people would have come out in force and squashed it. Yeah. And said we don't want a black president. We're voting for somebody else. Well, I think that I mean, the uh, the people who voted for Donald Trump didn't like Mitt Romney either, and that's what the, the kind yeah, of the magic. Race, if it's a race based metric. Obviously, Mitt Romney is white, and so if it was a yeah. backlash against Obama purely because he's black, they would have picked anybody that was white. Yeah, I guess. I mean, the the purely part of it is is well, and you have to think definitive. In, in twenty, you know, in the twenty sixteen election, who was up there that was a good candidate? The twenty sixteen. Yeah, we're yeah, scraping yeah. the bottom of the barrel for everybody. Well, so okay, you don't like Hillary Clinton? Then. I I voted for Hillary. Yeah, Hillary back. Before I really understood everything in the emails and just how she's a little... I mean, she's not a great candidate. Not because she's a woman, which is what everyone goes... No, Anytime I you don't say think... you don't like somebody that's a woman, they always say, is it because she's a woman? Yeah. They're like, no, she's just a shitty politician. She flip-flops on everything. She th didn't think gay marriage was okay until like 2013. Sure. I mean, not. she's just not great. She is the epitome of the, um, what you call the uh, triangulating candidate, where it's like they pick positions based on what they think is going to move them ahead, and they operate on very little in terms of their own character or opinion. So you can't really trust anything they say to be what they actually feel, because they're always trying to triangulate which group is going to get them elected, you know? Um, I think that... Uh, she was infinitely better than, I think, Donald Trump. Um, but I don't know that the country would have been much better off had she gotten elected because there was a lot of people who hate her guts. And I think that the uh, her political enemies would have you know, brought everything to a standstill because they were so upset about her being president. Um, I think she's really bright. I respect her. I um, She's not my ideal candidate. Um, I have a lo lot of complicated thoughts about Hillary. Like... Uh, well, I just don't like she flip flop. I politicians that do that, which is hard because most of them do that. Yeah, that's a problem that we've just come to accept. That but as what a do you do if you if you actually evolve in your thinking? But has she done that? I mean, I don't know. When she's changed opinions, it could be argued that she just came to feel differently about an issue. Yes. Like gay marriage. Yep. At one point, you could be against it or think that it's the country's not ready for legalization, but then at another point. After you've seen some things, you can be like, well, maybe now we are ready and you're ready to make that change. I mean, I'm not saying that I flip-flopping is a problem. Don't get me wrong. But I think that there has to be some room sometimes for people to be able to be like... To grow. To grow. A hundred percent. not get nailed by it. A hundred percent. That's another problem that we've grown into is you are your past. Yeah. And the past mistakes that you've made now are stuck with you for life. We don't allow people the room to grow. Yeah. Which you're right. That is a big thing. 
I just don't think that's what she's doing. Just like yeah. I don't think Donald Trump is growing at all. They're just flip-flopping to try to appease their base or appease what they think people will want them to say. Yeah. And I agree with you. I mean, on the 2016 election in terms of which candidates, I mean, we didn't have a good choice because neither one of those candidates were going to bring anybody together. And I think that when you're choosing a leader for the country, it's important that you have someone that can at least appeal in some way to both segments of society. I mean, to like, so that we have a common sense of purpose. Um, I mean, I think Joe Biden could do that. I mean, I don't know. He's, he's had a hard time. He's, but he's turning things around. I think he's doing infinitely better than, uh, um, Trump. Trump. Uh, I think he's trying legitimately whether or not he's succeeding in some ways. Um, but, uh, he's a guy who I think has gotten a lot of unfair. Well, that guy, flack. he's almost, you know, just, he's in that same mix with them though. He's plagiarized speeches and yeah. passed them off as his own. I think he pl- plagiarized JFK or MLK. Uh, I'm not sure. Probably. See if you can find that. <laughs> um, but that's, I mean, he lied about being at the, he just lies about shit that, like, why lie about it? Lied about being at the top of his class or something like that. Yeah. He wasn't at the top of his class. Why lie? Why are we So who is So who is, a good, from your perspective, who is a good None candidate? I, I'm going to say this. I should have dug into her a little bit more. I liked Tulsi Gabby at a cursory uh, glance. Okay. I thought that she, she was a vet. She served. She was in a medical unit, so she probably saw some pretty terrible things. Yeah. I liked her perspective on not engaging in these foreign wars just to appease the military-industrial complex. I felt what I heard her say resonated. I didn't hear everything that she said, but at least she, it seemed like she had character. Like, she was going to stand on her ground and stand for something. Everyone else on that stage, it just felt they were passe about everything. They would sell their name for anything to get closer to being the president. Yeah. Um, Tulsi, so I don't know what you think about the Russian investigation, like the whole idea. Well, that was a joke, right? Are you saying that she was, is tied to Russia? What I'm saying is that she, um, I'm not saying she's tied to Russia. I think that she began to court a certain segment of the voter population that was against the Russia investigation. And so she became the Russia, Against Trump, the Ag- investigation. Yeah, against- yeah. Okay. Basically, being uh, against the investigation, and she ended up being on Fox News a lot. And like, I, I don't think I think that uh, I mean, with the Russia investigation, I think that the investigation absolutely should have happened, uh, and I think it probably came down right where it was supposed to. There was a lot of weird stuff that was said by Trump that was done that was in, that needed to be investigated because it raised a lot of weird questions about where his loyalties lie. Um, and I think that in the end, he probably didn't have a conspiracy with the Russian government to get himself elected, but there were a lot of things that were really suspicious about that. And so it should have been investigated. There's this whole movement now among people on the right and the left, uh, the extreme left to say, well, that was all part of like the FBI's or the, or the, uh, the intelligence agency's effort to pull Trump down from the power and you know because trump is like the real you know renegade against these entrenched powers or whatever and it's like no the russian investigation had to happen it probably was right to exonerate him from that conspiracy it probably wasn't right to exonerate him from all the uh um efforts he made to uh obstruct justice and keep that investigation from going forward um and but you know they the fbi did have a policy at the time of not um 
uh, allowing and still does not allowing the prosecution of a sitting president, which is probably the right thing. I mean, you know, uh, but at the same time, we got to hold those people accountable. So but anyway, with that investigation specifically, there are a lot of people that think it was just a time suck just to try to find something on him, just to try to paint him into this. Yeah, corner. but that's I mean, that's you had, uh, you know, oligarchs who were under the control of Vladimir Putin um, doing all kinds of things really close in relation to uh, Donald Trump. You had Donald Trump's advisors close and interacting with members of Russian intelligence. You had his campaign giving polling data to the Russians who were running a uh, um, a cyber farm for trolls, a cyber troll farm where they would go on Facebook and everywhere else and spread the information um, that Trump's campaign needed them to send, which they knew about because of the, Trump, the polling data they'd received from Trump's campaign. So they, they, they were working together. Uh, you know, uh, Manafort gave uh, a member of the Russian intelligence valuable data about what they were seeing, what issues people cared about in the battleground states that Russia later used with this trolling, you know, um, farm. That's not okay. You know, I mean, like, it's not insignificant. No, it definitely it required investigation. Yeah, exactly right. But there, I mean, what do you, what do you have here, really fast, Andy? What do you got? Oh, during his failed 1988 presidential campaign, Biden plagiarized from speeches by British politician Neil Kinnock, Robert Kennedy, and President John F. Kennedy. It's, yeah, I mean, he's, I, I, I'm not even sure, and this gets thrown around a lot, how aware he is of what he is. The guy's had major brain surgery twice. He's 80. <laughs> 80 something yeah he doesn't look great at least trump i don't know if they have him hopped up well, on something I but mean, he's more energetic you would want a president energetic. that can actually get around doesn't get lost isn't shaking hands with the air he's 79 he's, it just feels like he if you're asking me do i think he's too old to be president yes yeah i mean you're not going to get an argument from me who's uh, born in 1942 yeah and i think that donald trump is probably too old to be president and i've seen pictures of donald trump like uh, when he had this recent uh, event, golf event, where they someone took pictures of him, and he looked yeah, neither awful. of them look great. They don't look great. Yeah, you know, um, they're not on the cover of a fitness magazine. But all that being said, I, I mean, you know, it boils down to what your gut feeling is about an individual person, and like Joe Biden, for me, I think is a decent human being. I see. That's where I get lost. Is I there? It is. I there think it that is. they're the same. That's it, right there, man. That's not a great picture. That is not a great picture. Um, I think they're the same, the same, um, varying levels of, you know, personality wise. Trump is, I don't think Trump is a great person from mm -hmm. the comments that I've heard, but in a different way, I don't think Biden's a great person, different okay. actions, different causes that they're standing behind different movements, but they're both not good. It's just different spectrums. You want someone who acts presidential, but does all this shit on the side or do you want someone who doesn't act presidential and does this other shit on the side well see i mean like from where i'm sitting i mean what donald trump represented was uh, far and away worse than anything we've ever had as a president in the history of this country like i mean every i mean you just read some of the books from some of the reporters about the things that he was saying and doing and like uh, revealing intelligence secrets and well the grabber by the pussy thing i really thought that was going to sink him so, when well, that yeah. came out and, and when that didn't sink him i knew we were in trouble teflon don so i mean yeah i mean i think that from the extent that um, they're both establishment candidates 
you know, Joe Biden and uh, but I just don't think you can put Biden in the same category with Trump. I mean, Trump started an insurrection because he lost. Joe Biden would have just said, I lost. I mean, hands down, Hillary Clinton said, I lost. Well, Hillary Clinton fought it for a little bit. No, she did not. No, she didn't. She she gave a, the only thing that she did is that some members of Congress uh, refused to, or questioned the... um, Legitimacy? Well, yeah, kind of like objected to the certification of the electoral votes, but that in no way was in anywhere the same as what uh, Donald Trump did with organizing and pushing electors from various states. I mean, and then ultimately leading a riot on the Capitol building that was meant to stop the transfer of power. That is a coup d'etat, and it's the only time it's been done in this country, and it was done directly because Donald Trump is basically a loathsome, evil human being. And that's all there is to it. See, I feel that way about Trump. I feel that way about all of them. Yeah, that's what I mean. Donald Trump is that, and Joe Biden may be too old, maybe kind of addled, but I don't think he is motivated in the same way by the same kind of uh, hateful, I think Trump greedy is mo- stuff. I think Trump has the hate. I think he's just motivated to move himself forward, which I think you could say for Biden, too. It's just a grimy business. The idea sure. of politics and these people that are running, they don't care about anybody. Yeah. Joe Biden doesn't care about the average American. He just yeah. doesn't. Yeah. And if you think he does... Good luck. I mean, none of, <laughs> but none of them do. And yeah. we, I don't know when this happened or how it happened. I don't know if we just got too big as a country to where that personal connection was just lost. Mm-hmm. But there's no real representation for the average American. They don't care. So, they sell you a pot of dreams and then they get there and, well. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, I think that. You think there's still some that well, no, really I mean, care? I think, yeah. I mean, I think that most of them do. Really? Most of them? I would say, I mean, I'm going to say, like, there are people out there. I mean, I think that they're all motivated by their careers first. So let me put that out there. But do I think that most politicians want to do the best that they can for their people of their constituency? Yeah. I think that some of them get caught up in, you know, the the power games and the money. And I, I mean, I think if we wanted to clean up politics, we would figure out ways to do away with finance, like finance reform. But, I mean, I've dealt with a lot of these folks, you know, like Huffman. He's a politician. Um, he cares. He absolutely cares. Does he get to do everything that he wishes he could do? No. Is he forced to make like, uh, you know, um, what do you call concessions? Yeah. Concessions to what his ultimate like dream would be of how things go. Yes. But I think that most of the time, and I think that that's the shift that we've been seeing is that for a long time, people just disagreed and there was like hearty, you know, um, or people had passionate feelings on both sides and it kind of, it was a, it was a mess, but at least people were getting things done. I think that we've gotten to a place now where, you know, um, the, the environment has gotten so bitter that there's less and less ability to compromise and it becomes more about just winning than about getting anything done. Um, and so do I think that, I mean, I think that there's, it's been gradually skewing towards more like, power game kind of stuff but for the most part i think that like um a lot of those people would like to stay in power um their number one motive and then they'd like to do good for the people in their constituency i mean i maybe i'm just uh you know um no it's funny the sky kind of stuff it's funny hearing you say that because normally i'm the one that's over here saying maybe i'm a little too idealistic uh looking at this with rose-colored glasses but you might actually be in that situation more than me on this topic. I just, I mean, I think that a lot of people, 
start with the pure motivations and maybe they end up away from where they like, I believe would like that. to be. Yeah, uh, I know. believe they might start that way. Yeah. And then down the road they just get bought or dirt somebody gets dirt on them. Well, you've got to figure out that they're like they're all ju- they're all rationalizing their the decisions they're making. So if you corner these guys and like, you know, I mean, and say, you know, why are you doing this stuff? They're going to give you reasons that fit right in with what they're they're, you know, selling. And yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of them get pushed off the, the, the principal path, but I think that they are really busy rationalizing it to make it seem, at least in their own heads, like they're fighting the good fight. What do you think about the, the Hunter Biden laptop story? Uh, I think it's garbage. You think it's garbage? I think the Russian intelligence uh, sold it to Rudy Giuliani. Anything Rudy Giuliani touches is garbage. But they have authenticated that it was his laptop. Who has? Who, who I think is? the FBI has authenticated that it was so, his laptop. I'd like to see that. And see if you can see find if that. They could, I want to say that. Anyone in the FBI absolutely says that that was his laptop. And the chain of custody, like, it may have been his laptop, but the Russian uh, intelligence is really good at taking things that are genuine and then inf- putting false information in it. And but see, you seem so skeptical with that, and yet the the Russia-Trump connection was pretty, you were pretty hard-passed on that. Yeah, well, and the other reason is why I don't really give a shit about uh, Hunter Biden's laptop. There's well, nothing nothing in that that says that Joe Biden was Well, like, there is. there are some emails in there that, allude to hunter biden kicking money up to joe biden for connecting you know chinese mm-hmm. business tycoons yeah. with him yeah. and they have sh- they have email correspondence showing that how authentic that is i'm not sure it is it claimed who's it the new york post well that where that's, that's where i was going with this is the conservative new york conservative newspaper owned the by new york post yeah owned by what's his name from fox news the new york post is owned by the same guy who owns fox news See if you can find that next. Wait, I, I wanted to read that. Can you go back for a sec? Um, it claimed that a laptop abandoned in a repair shop by Hunter Biden. Oh, yeah, this is an old one. Introducing a Ukrainian energy tycoon. There's that. But there's also the Chinese connection. And there's no record on Mr. Biden's and, schedule that such a meeting ever took place. Where did you see that at? Where we it at claimed here? that a laptop abandoned in a repair shop by Hunter Biden. Oh, yes, Biden there's no record emails. on Mr. Biden's schedule. Okay. Well, how hard is it to, you know, remove something from a schedule? But the the thing is, this story was suppressed in the beginning. It wasn't suppressed. I mean, from my from my perspective, it was ignored by media who were like, "This has alarm bells written all over it." No, it was actively suppressed. I believe it. Well, how do you actively suppress? I believe the FBI said we're not investigating this. See if you can find that. But the FBI told, I don't know if it was intelligence analysts, and I feel like I'm getting a little conspiratorial here right now, which (laughs) is not where I was trying to go with that. I but just, I mean, I, I... You seem you seem very skeptical on this and yet very gung-ho when it is left to right. Like if it involves no. Trump. What I'm thinking is, is that, uh, I mean, I think that people on the left can be just as... I have... Russian intelligence is a real thing. And their efforts to, like, uh, throw this country into disarray and cause all kinds of issues has been well-documented and well-tracked. Um, when Donald Trump got elected, we had this whole fallout happen where, like... All the people in the intelligence services and the FBI were suddenly like deep state and they're all out to get Trump and all the appearances of Donald Trump doing something wrong were part of this deep state. So I am skeptical of that whole line of argument because I've researched it and none of that is true. 
I mean, it's basically there is no deep state. There are people who were trying to serve there and do their jobs. Some of them expressed political opinions and text between their friends, but it was never like, you know, uh, this plot to overthrow Donald Trump like they make it out to be. And so you see the people on Fox News and the friends of Donald Trump arguing this point over and over and over again, and it's total garbage. And then you have, uh, so like I said, though, I don't think Donald Trump was involved in a conspiracy with Russia. I think it should have been investigated, and it was, and that's as far as it should have gone. But you don't think that the Hunter Biden laptop should be investigated? No, I don't, because there, it's a, that whole thing, that whole scheme is something that U.S. intelligence has seen before, where the Russian government can take something, even if it was originally Hunter Biden's laptop, if they had it. They can do things to it to make it look like it's really got some really salacious information in it, and no one would be able to tell the difference. But don't we have to investigate and it comes from, to come to that conclusion? How do you just draw that just by the connection to Russia? I mean, what you, if, but you're thinking that they said that they would never investigate that it had anything to do with Russia. They tried. They tried very hard to shut it down. Twitter censored it. Facebook pulled it. They because tried, it was because it was misinformation. But it was nobody, as nobody investigated. How can you write it off as misinformation if nobody looks into it? Um, there were articles out when it first came out, and I can't point you to who the people were, but there was... Uh, the New York I, Post is the one that broke the story. The New York Post, were, which is owned by the Murdoch family. Yeah, which, who, I, get, which again, I do get the connection, the, but don't you think that it at least warrants, just like the Russia investigation warranted an investigation, don't you think this warrants one? How can we just write it off? Maybe it is a Russian thing. Maybe it's not. I think the Russians would be just as inclined to pull down Hunter Biden as they are to uplift Trump. So what if the information is legit and maybe it did come from some foreign actor looking to hurt the presidency? Yeah. Isn't that still valid? If if bad information comes from a bad source, but it's true, is that do we discredit that the reality? I mean, of what I, that I guess that I mean, if if this t laptop hadn't been found by by Giuliani through some partisan hack who owned this store who like calls up Giuliani and says, Hey, I got Hunter Biden's laptop, all of which is extremely questionable. Like, I mean, to the point where it's, it, it beggars belief to think that, um, I mean, and this is the same group of people, meanwhile, who stole, uh, um, Biden's daughter's diary. Right. And tried to make that into hay right before the election with Project Veritas. And now Project Veritas is on the, in the process of like getting sued and trials and public legal maneuvers because they stole her diary when she was in drug recovery and tried to make that into a campaign issue. And there's this long running issue to try and discredit Hunter Biden because he's a drug addict. And that's the only reason why this is happening. I mean, I've seen no fundamentally real proof that he's done anything crooked that should get him investigated. And if, I mean, if, he, if there is real evidence, then of course they should investigate it. I'm not saying they shouldn't. But this particular thing with the laptop is smacks of a desperate campaign ploy by Giuliani and all of his like connections to Russian intelligence, which are documented. Um, I don't know how you can trust any of that. I mean, yeah, it just smacks just of garbage. Write it off without without any real investigation happening. Well, I wouldn't say don't investigate it. I mean, I'm not saying don't look into it to see that it's... But from where I'm sitting, and I don't have the, the wherewithal to, you know, investigate it or... Uh, but from where I'm sitting, to me, one is obviously... I mean, you have one where it's the son of a presidential candidate who maybe... Um, yeah, but this... The other not, one is whether or not the, he's, he's working actively with the foreign government to get power. Yes, but there are... So it's two different things. Just like there were connections with Russia and Trump, Hunter Biden is basically, he had, he has a joint bank account with his dad. He also 
was being financed by some China tycoon, business tycoon, had like a stipend of an insane amount of money monthly, was given a car by dollars a month and Trump so couldn't say it So to say that enough. he's not connected to these powerful people because of his relation to his dad. I'm not saying pretty, that. So that, but that does open the door then that there is collusion, just like Trump has no. connection. How, collusion or not how? collusion, not collusion, my bad. But <laughs> there is a connection there that I would imagine provides enough legitimacy where we should look into it. Just to say definitively, just yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying once. it shouldn't be it shouldn't have been looked into. I'm not saying that, um, but I am saying from my perspective where I say you don't find I would approach it with um, extreme uh, prejudice because the but facts don't you think surrounding that's it, a bias going straight into it. No, I don't. I mean. Look at what happened throughout the 2015-2016 campaign. Look at the relationship between Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. Look at all of the things that have been said. Look at Donald Trump in Helsinki basically bending over and taking the ass from Putin for this country and saying, hey, look, like, um, I know what my intelligence says, but, uh, you know, I don't know why we shouldn't believe Vladimir Putin. Like, he's done things that are just shockingly bizarre for someone who is supposed to be an, on an equal footing with this guy. Like, I mean, you talk about, like, who gets who's got dirt on whoever. I mean, Donald Trump has acted like a patsy for Vladimir Putin from the very beginning and even up until this day. And suddenly Russian intelligence is sort of involved in producing this like laptop that has incriminating evidence kind of about Hunter Biden, but it's all really kind of confusing and no one can really give a clear answer on how it implicates Joe Biden and it just really obscures things. To me, it seems like a obvious intelligence um, like operation. And sure, we should look into it to make sure that there's nothing in there that's, you know, going to say that Hunter Biden is going to sell off American secrets. But then you don't have uh, Joe Biden giving security clearances to his son, like you had Donald Trump giving security clearances to his son-in-law, who was pegged as a intelligence risk by all of the intelligence agencies. So this guy that everyone's jumping up and down about, Hunter Biden, isn't even a part of the administration. In no way has anything to do with the governing of this country. Whereas Donald Trump had all these crooks right in bed with him in the in the uh, White House residence. So it's a matter of scale. It's like, okay, so this guy was a drug addict. Maybe, I doubt it, but maybe he did some things that were kind of untoward with money. Donald, uh, and Joe Biden is not rich. He files his taxes. You can look at his tax returns. You can see the house he lives in. He is not Donald Trump rich. He is not raking in the millions. It's just not happening. So how can you even begin to equate the two? It's like Donald Trump is owes basically all of his business success for the last 15 years to Russia. They've said as much right before the campaign. And then he runs and then he's soft on Russia and then tries to like bend over backward to give Russia everything it wants, tries to dismantle NATO. I mean, like all of that. And Joe Biden's son, who was a drug addict, had a laptop. They don't equal the same thing. They're just not I'm, on the I'm same I'm not scale. trying to equate the two. I'm just saying... A problem is a problem, a and if until it's definitive that it's not a problem, it should be warranted as such. It should be investigated. I'm not. I'm not going to make a judgment call on which one is worse or yeah, which one. I will. Yeah, <laughs> but you know the sliding scale. It doesn't matter. It's just if there is a potential breach or a potential risk or potential evidence. But that how comes is forward, how does any of this represent a potential risk to Biden in office right now? How does it change anything that Biden? Well, is because doing? if you can buy your way to Biden and buy your way to getting who, access who to him. Bought, anyone. Anyone who, who did. That's what they're alleging in the emails is that Hunter Biden's ties to these Chinese tycoons and the Ukrainian situation. He's selling basically access to the president. 
The yes, that, for a kickback and giving some of that money to the president, which would be a conflict of interest. Okay, selling access when he was vice president, right? Um, how which does doesn't that, diminish. That's still a problem. It's still a problem. Okay, uh, even even if ha- had it happened, which I don't believe it did, even had it happened, how does that change things now? Well, what is he doing now? But that's that, like what is Hunter Biden doing? That's ignoring a problem. That's like saying, oh well, you know. This guy killed this person five years ago. Why do we care about it now? Okay, but it's hardly killing somebody. No, but if you're <laughs> selling access as the vice president, we're going to assume that you're just okay now that you're president and you're okay. Right, so, but right. then you have this thing where I mean, I this hate. This killing me over here. I know it loves you. <laughs> the, the tip for tat, and I kind of hate this, uh, but it works for the right, so I'll go ahead and, and use it. Like the Trump administration had the Trump Hotel. Right down the street oh, from probably. the White House. Yeah, yeah, and people and foreign leaders were coming in there and staying there on purpose to make and sure that the money a ridiculous yeah. amount of money. And so that money would go into Trump's pocket, so that when they went to go confab with Trump, he would know that they were giving him some money, and so that that would affect his potential. You know, they wanted that to be known, and that was part of the whole uh, grab bag thing. How is that any different than no, this? No, see, this is where I'm going with that. I view both of those as the same thing. Just like I think that should okay. be investigated, I think but the it's Hunter not. Biden. It's not being investigated. But I, I don't have control over that, but I'm saying they both should. It, I, the impression but, I'm but getting, you're spending a the, lot of time arguing right now that this Hunter at Laptop thing should be totally investigated. Yes. And, because but, and, and just one of the scandals of the Trump because administration. Because the impression <laughs> that I get from a lot of people, and I'm, I'm going to make a judgment call that you're a little left-leaning. Yeah. No, I wouldn't say far left, but a little left-leaning. Uh, I, I absolutely am. And that's what I said before I started, that I have most, a hard time being like saying I'm impartial. Yeah, most people from the left, and it happens on the right the other way too, they kind of cherry pick. And so things that align with them against the thing. So the Russia investigation against Trump falls right in line. So they're gung-ho for it. But investigating Hillary's emails, investigating the Hunter Biden laptop, these other things, they just immediately brush them off. And I don't know enough about either of those. I don't even know enough about this to really provide an accurate sentiment about it. Yeah. But I'm curious, just like I am with the Russia investigation, but there's that disconnect. And it's the same for the people on the right. They don't think the Russia collusion is warranted at all. So you know that the Russian, okay, you say that the uh, Hillary emails thing was not investigated, right? I don't know if it was. No, it it was. And in fact, that's the reason why Donald Trump won the election. Because two weeks before Donald Trump got elected, there was a press release put out by James Comey from the FBI saying that we are investigating Anthony Weiner's laptop having to do with emails from Hillary Clinton and her secret server. And that happened two weeks before the election, and that gave Donald Trump a bunch of stuff to talk about. And this um, changed the tide of the election, and a lot of people think that, that Jim Comey got Donald Trump elected. So that was investigated. And he announced um, two weeks before the election, which is against FBI policy, that he was continuing to investigate it. So, I mean, if we're going to talk about like who's like, um, you know, who's in the back for who, the FBI basically damaged the uh, Hillary Clinton campaign two weeks before the election, even though they have a policy of not announcing anything investigative within 60 days of an election day. So that was investigated. We can talk about Benghazi, okay, another Hillary Clinton scandal. Um, did she do something wrong? I don't know enough about it to know. But I do know that she spent 12 hours under questioning in a House committee where she answered all of their questions and never complained and did everything she could to tell them what she, they wanted to know. Um, th- th- that kind of like accountability never occurred within the, the Trump White House. Like they, they wouldn't even come to committee hearings. They wouldn't submit to questioning. So it's like you have a pattern of behavior and accountability that all administrations up until the Trump administration 
followed. Like they had accountability where they would have to go before the oversight house oversight committee and they had to play respectfully with the other uh, branches of government. All that stopped without Trump. So let's be clear. I'm not saying that Republicans as a whole are bad or that their scandals aren't any more real than Democrats or anything like that. I'm saying that the Trump administration singularly, whether they were right or left, has been the most crooked organization or crooked administration this country has ever seen times 10. Makes like uh, um, Nixon look like a fairy godmother. And that has to be recognized. And this is where we get to the like why I have a hard time being impartial. It's not a left or right thing. It's like we have this example of fascist ideology that suddenly inserted itself into the American like um, system, and we're all gonna like pussyfoot around it and not call it what it is, and then play like tit for tat. Well, Hunter Biden's laptop equals Russia investigation. No, it doesn't. It does not. One involves like um, basically screwing around with a, an American election and possibly causing a person to get elected who wasn't rightfully chosen, and the other is a son who may have pushed up kickbacks to his father years and years ago. They're not the same thing. They're just not. I don't see them that way. And so you basically have one outstanding president who, I mean, not outstanding like outstanding, but standing out for their crookedness, the Trump administration, that's the cancer. Whether or not the following administration is Republican or Democrat, I will judge them on the basis of how they interact with people and the government. And I won't, I don't judge them based on their political philosophy. I judge them based on their behavior. And the Trump administration proved itself to be the most scandalous administration to ever exist in the human system or American system. I mean, there was like 20 scandals, like how many cabinet, I mean, every cabinet uh, official basically had like some major, I mean, interior, uh, EPA, they were all just, I mean, constantly doing shenanigans. And it's like, people want to break it down to, well, if you're going to be left, if you're going to go after the left, you got to go after the right. I don't see it that way. It's like, if someone is bad, a bad actor, then you need to focus on the bad actor. And do I see Biden as the same kind of bad actor as Donald Trump? No. And most of the country agrees with me. But then we go back to that sliding scale. Isn't just It's not a sliding scale. The, the, the scope of... of the crimes is so much broader with Donald Trump. And not yeah. because he's a Republican. You could say that. But isn't being a bad actor, period, full stop, isn't that enough to warrant whatever yeah. investigation. Yeah, it's not but about, I don't think, okay, you're doing you things have that yet are worse. To, but none, none of these things that you've talked about remotely equal any of the things that Donald Trump did. But here, we're going back to the equality thing. If you have a murderer who kills three people and one who kills five, they're both still murderers. Yes, this one did more bad things, but are they're you, if both you're asking, murderers. Do I think they should both be held accountable? Yes. Do But do I think that they are in anywhere equally near the same league? Yeah, I no, understand that. No, I don't. And Donald Trump is still doing it. He's still saying the election's a lie. He's causing so much division in this country. I mean, I frankly don't know how more people aren't outraged that this guy has basically thrown our whole system. I mean, he's gotten people elected who have promised to cheat well, here, on the next we election. Can, and that can, all comes from Donald Trump. We can touch that. The Democratic Party has been propagating a lot of those candidates, paying campaign funds. Some of that happened. A lot of that has happened. Uh, and we're talking about people who believe the election was stolen mm -hmm. and could have the power to do something about that in the future. The Democratic Party is financing campaign donations for them. Uh, and then they're going to come. I would not say the Democratic Party. And then we're going to come out and say, oh, yeah. So you're saying this is a problem, and yet you're propagating people who support what you're pointing at as a problem. How hypocritical is that? 
that is a mistake. And yet they do it. And, and then they, they, they then come and on they're television. they're wrong for doing it. Yeah, but then they they're propagate wrong. the idea that, oh, this is the end of the world and the fight for our lives and we have to stand up against these people. Okay, but if, okay, I mean, the, the Democrats are making a, um, what would you, a, uh, a calculation that those people are going to be easier to defeat because they're so outlandish. That's, that's the They calculation. also thought they could beat Donald Trump. I'm exactly. Like, that and that was wrong. Out. And I, I don't think they should do this either because it's playing with fire. However, um, they're not the ones running these candidates. Like, I mean, and, and, and the thing is, there is a vast portion of the Republican Party now who thinks that elections don't work because Donald Trump. They think that the, that the 2020 election was a farce and that Joe Biden lost and that Donald Trump was his position was stolen because Donald Trump said so. Isn't that like. Isn't that a crime unheard of in it's American history? Yeah, I, I'm not going to argue so that. Let's, I agree. Uh, it's but a let's problem. talk a little bit about that. I mean, you know, like we talk. I mean, you want to throw at me all the things that the Democrats are doing, but we ignore the stuff the Republicans are doing. No, this is where I'm going with that. I'm willing to call out both sides. I think okay. both sides are full of shit. We can argue or disagree about to what extent, to who's more crooked than the other. My but given thing the is, last two years, can you really argue that anymore? That both sides are full of shit? Yeah. A thousand percent. No way, man. One, One is anti-democratic right now. The Republican Party is anti-democratic. Pick, pick your poison. The right is anti-abortion. They're also pro-speech. The left wants pro -speech to speech says who? Since everybody. Okay, so uh, Ron DeSantis, who was firing uh, uh, attorneys and teachers down in Florida for talking about uh, gay, saying the word gay, that's pull up. That's not actually speech. what it is. The don't it is. Are we talking uh, about the say don't gay. say gay bill? Yeah, pull that up because that's it's a huge misunderstanding. It's oh, not actually. It? It's not actually. So you like Ron DeSantis? <laughs> I think his handling of COVID was was decent. Uh, oh my God, you got to be kidding me! What COVID wasn't real? No, I didn't say that. I think the <laughs> idea that we shouldn't lock people down and force them to stay in their homes and force businesses to close, I think that was a mistake. I, okay. You think that was great? I don't think it was great. I think it was necessary. I think if the government let millions of people die because they didn't take action like Donald Trump did, I think that's a disservice and I think it's wrong. I think Donald Trump what personally is, is responsible for more than a million deaths. And okay. he's walking around like it's no no big deal. Pause. Because he, no. Pause. What does that mean though? What? The government had the power to say, okay, we shouldn't let people get infected with each other. So lockdowns, like why? But we know that wasn't. That what wasn't? It, it still spread. It the still idea, spread, but it, it could have been much, much worse. The, 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 I mean, you don't think that lockdowns prevented people from getting sick? I, no. Okay. I think we're basically pretty much, I think. Well, there's people, this thing called science. Well, I think people being healthy <laughs> would have prevented people from dying and getting sick. We have a lot of yeah. obese, fat people yeah, so? that don't take care of themselves. So? What does that have to do? So they that's deserve to biggest, die? That's your biggest that's, risk factor. You deserve factor. to die. No. Nobody's saying you deserve to die. Well, I mean, you brought it up. So like yeah, if I'm people bringing... are, have a higher risk factor, then so the, the other people shouldn't be limited in their movements because they're fat? People should not have the government force them to stay home. The that's government's job is to protect as many people as possible. If there is a major plague and someone needs to stop it so that millions of people's lives can be saved, that is what the government is there for, to make unpopular decisions and save as many people as possible. We're gonna we're gonna come back on that. The new law championed by Florida's GOP governor Ron DeSantis bans lessons on sexual orientation and gender identity in kindergarten through third grade, as well as material that is not deemed age appropriate. Okay, this is what the writing is, but then there are people who have been fired for saying things that don't have to do with there was lessons. Also a and teacher, why is that why is that a fireable a teacher, offense? Listen, there was also a teacher that was trying to teach kids that you shouldn't call people pedophiles, you should call them 
you know, youth youth favored or something like that. Teachers do some weird That's shit. That's disinformation. How can you say that without even reading the article? Because it's ridiculous. But see, you can't just... But you can't read this stuff and tell me that you believe Ron DeSantis is like doing something positive by saying they I can't say gay. I think we shouldn't be teaching kindergartners about sex. I think no I feel No one's teaching kindergartners about sex. That's exactly what that no, just said. No, what did that Scroll say? Scroll back up. Yeah, that's what... Kindergartners the... through third grade. That's what it says right there. As well as material that is not deemed age appropriate. Yes. Deemed by who? Bans lessons on sexual orientation yeah, and so gender basically, identity. They can't whole, say that can't, gay people exist. We can't talk exist. over each other. We, we okay. got to make sure not but to listen, do that. But listen, part of this is like one woman who is a gay teacher. Wait, tell right? me. We're, we're bouncing around on issues. I want to I want to talk about... Where were we? I just had a... What were we just talking about? <laughs> we're bouncing around a little too much. I mean, this particular thing here, there was a but, teacher who was fired because they were gay well, and they had a picture off, of their wife. You just wrote off that one example, but you have no, you haven't even because, read the article. I mean, How can you do that? Well, reflexively, I'm reacting. Uh, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I'm hearing has been disinformation from... But how can you say that definitively without just, without Because any... it seems like either or, tit for tat. It's like, if I say... what? Like, if, if I say that... Everything that I'm gonna say, you're gonna throw out some example from some. I'm throwing out these examples as a as a as kind of a a backstop because it seems like you are very directioned in your opinion. It's very about left. What? It's just see, broadly. but that's the thing. I I don't agree that it's left or right. I think it's right or wrong. That's not like, what it is at all. I have a daughter who is gay. Okay, so are you telling me that uh, anyone from twelve from kindergarten to third grade shouldn't be allowed to mention that someone's gay? I don't. Because you can't in Florida. This right is now. what I'll tell you. A teacher I, was fired for having a picture of her wife on the wall. That's disinformation. That's not disinformation. But see how I did that without any evidence or reading anything. I just threw that out there that it's disinformation. Okay, I mean, with I, no evidence. My I've passions, never heard of that. My, my passions may have gotten the best of me, but I'm telling you, like, I get it. It's a heated subject, and it's a, especially where you are that close to it. It's passionate. I. I can say this without any research. I or just. Any, I mean, anybody. Wait, wait, let me say this. Yeah. Without any information, without reading any articles. Teachers should not be teaching kids in kindergarten through third grade. I feel very comfortable saying that about sex. They just They're shouldn't. not. That's my. I mean, I think that this. Well, according is, to this article, that's that. This article does not say that they're teaching kids sex. It just said, but they're not. It, that's not what they scroll back up. We're gonna are we gonna read this again? Find it again. Well, I didn't read it the first time. Um, you read it to me a paragraph. Florida teacher said. said she was fired because she spoke to her students about her sexuality. Yeah, keep reading it. Um, the Cape Coral art teacher Casey Scott was employed at Trafalgar, Trafalgar. Middle Trafalgar Middle School and said that she and her students were discussing sexuality and she told them she was pansexual. Scott also said children asked to draw pictures illustrating their sexuality, but after putting them on display, she was asked to remove them. Yeah, that's yeah, that's why is she why? Okay, so let's be clear here. <laughs> That paragraph is not clear. I don't know what the hell's going on there. Well, I think um, it was very clear. It said what she was discussing sexuality with her students, and she told them she was pansexual. She also said children asked to draw pictures illustrating their sexuality. But after putting them up on display, she was asked to remove them. Okay. That sounds like a problem. No, that does. Scroll down, though. Uh, I mean, oh. I didn't... You. You See, threw, but this is this you is pulled what that up. Let me be clear. You pulled that up, and then you showed me one paragraph, and that's not the paragraph that we were looking at. Um, that wasn't. I think this is a different article. This is okay, about the so Dose Gay Bill. Okay, so we changed articles. <laughs> no, but this is. So, he's 
Was that the reference he made? It, this is the sh- thing you showed me. No, but Bands that lessons was... on social. Let me say it, please. Bands lessons on sexual orientation and gender identity in kindergarten through third grade, as well as material that is not deemed age appropriate. And I said, who's who's deeming what is age appropriate? And um, I think that that's wrong. I think that only as far as like if someone is gay, you can't like people are gay. Like hello. But do you know so, that definitively we... that that's what is happening? What do you mean? That I, I believe Andy pulled up. You know definitively that wait, last wait, paragraph and that last story. We're talking about what happening. I'm going to get to that. Okay. I believe that article was the person that you said was fired for saying she was gay. Is that what you pulled up there, Andy? These are, these are both regarding the same vat. The same vat. So this is all about the same Florida. See, this is the problem. My whole thing is we just can't be dismissive of it because we we don't know. I'm not in Florida. I'm not in school. I don't know what they're actually teaching kids. I know that there are some crazy fucking people out there and some of those crazy people are teachers and if i had a child in school and they were in kindergarten and some non-binary pedophile was trying to tell my kid you can be okay, and i so get it let is, me finish you gotta let watch me finish. there man That's, let me finish if someone's non-binary it doesn't mean they're a pedophile i, I know be careful this is my example i would not want that person teaching my child that oh pedophilia isn't actually bad that it's you know, it's just about whatever you're attracted to, and it's a good thing. And trying to teach them about non-binary before they even know their bodies, before they know what they are. Kids are so malleable, and the idea that you're just giving your child to this stranger, no vetting process. They got a degree, which we both know how easy it is to do that. And you're going to let this. Hard for my degree. Oh, okay, but you can still. <laughs> anybody can really get one if you apply yourself. Yeah. And that person can teach your kid about sex. They have laws now. Or they're trying to implement it. I think it's a Senate bill where kids can go to teachers and get gender-affirming hormones without the parents' consent and without their knowledge. Okay, that's, I mean, that's, I have to say, I am almost positive that is misinformation. If you can show me what Pull Senate bill says. I think Google Senate bill allows. Me, um, Senate, United States Senate? Yeah, well, yeah, we're in the U.S. I believe well, no, it's, but um, there's state senates. I believe it is. There's no way that there's California, a Senate bill saying that. It is. That I think the, it's 13 and up to get gender-affirming I got to start saving hormones get yeah senate bill allows gender affirming hormones without parental consent i know they're doing it in college i believe they're doing it well i think it's 13 and up i think it's 13 and up up. Uh, i would be against that i don't believe that's happening without here we go um no google go to duckduckgo and type just copy that and go duckduckgo and paste it in well, clearly, DuckDuckGo is run by the Russian intelligence services. So anything you pull up there is Is that be... real? Yeah. No, I'm kidding, oh, okay. <laughs> well, you've got this connection to Russia. You know? Now it's like everything is. DuckDuckGo, I've noticed some things will not come up on Not Google. everything. I'm saying that Russia, the laptop story and that Donald Trump, they supported Donald Trump. Uh, Click that. What is this one? Okay, so who is this? No, go okay. go back for a second. That's, that's, I was looking at that other article. This is the Christian Broadcasting Network. I know. Go okay, to the, so find an the impartial uh, journalistic source. Well, please. we're just trying to find out what the but law is, is, and then we can research it a little bit. Scroll down there. Um, that's the thing. A lot of these reports are going to come from places that are like known um, partisans in this kind of issue. That's why I don't think it's true. I don't think this is it. Go back. There's an article. I'm going to have to it's put a it in series. the bottom. Go back real quick. Wait, wait. Time out. Time out. Washington. Said, I saw 13 years old there. And one in a series of new laws taken together allow children as young as 13 to make serious health care decisions. The consequences are immense, but that doesn't say anything about... 
Here we go. SB 5889, Washington Democrats forced insurers to cover gender dysmorphia treatment and gender-affirming care for minors 13 and 17 without parental consent. It mandates that insurers deal directly with the patient without requiring the policyholder's authorization. Okay, so let's break wait, that wait, down wait. a little it bit. Senate bill SB, and Washington, time out, time, we not can't keep US talking Senate. <laughs> it builds on SB 5904, which provides outpatient mental health treatment without parental consent for the same age group. Okay, can I respond now? Yes. Okay, so SB 5889 in Washington. You said it was U.S. Senate. That's not what's going on here. Also, cover gender dysmorphia treatment and gender-affirming care for minors between 13 and 17. None of that says hormones. Gender-affirming care is not hormones. That is gender-affirming no, care. Hormones? Well, you can't say that. Reproductive. You don't know what this guy meant, but it doesn't. he, he would have said hormones. I guarantee you. Look no, up that bill. Gender, look up the bill. Look okay. up the bill and then see we're if going, there's anywhere We're going off there. the rails here. No, gender-affirming I mean, care means... You can they psychological can have, care. No, it means they can have reconstructive surgery to get the no, parts. No, it doesn't. That it is doesn't. exactly what. Look gender, up the bill. I guarantee that, you, it pull doesn't that shit say up, Jamie. that it, it does not say that the Washington government is going to pay for people to get without parental consent to get we're hormones gonna, or surgery. It's eighteen pages. We can't read through this. Google gender affirming care definition. But see, you you seem but to I'm have just this, saying. I mean, no, I'm, I, know, I just know that that's to, not true. But you don't know. You seem to have this this bias of I know this read without it, any. And then tell me if I'm wrong. I know, but read it and tell me if I'm wrong. That seems to be the recurring. What the, did I want you to read more? No, no, no. and no the more. Recurring concept that you have this bias, but you keep reinforcing it without the. Exa- that's an even, unfair criticism. But you're not willing to hear the other side. It was with the Florida "Don't Say Gay" bill. You weren't. You just immediately dismissed the counter viewpoint without reading it without knowing it without doing anything you you're just throwing a bunch it. of stuff at me that you don't even know if it's true and like demanding I, I react to it like this Great. sb washington thing the senate that's you don't know that that's true i don't okay but so, i'm willing to so you're in a position that. where you're asking me to react to stuff with like kind of not thoroughly researched claims and then expecting I'm, me to react to it and I'm, when i say it's not true you refuse to read the bill to no, find no. out if it's true or not i'm pushing back because you're being dismissive against viewpoints you don't agree with but i am no... being d- dismissive against hate you're right that's not how can you just write that off as hate i think that when people make up things about like uh, what the... what part of that was made up we've just i don't I just, none of that I showed said you the article i showed the article you the don't was... say gay bill where they are teaching kids Okay, you have you have you have one no, story I'm, about a teacher who put up some drawings or something, which is wrong. I mean, I'm not saying that that should have happened, um, but I'm also saying that none of this here backed up your initial point that the Senate. You said the U.S. Senate I did. because I we're in America. Was, I thought it was the Senate. So that I mean, can you imagine what what is the difference in scope between a Washington State Senate bill that will never pass do you hear versus the, the U.S. Senate, and you just kind of throw it out there like listen. this is this huge dramatic thing, and it's not even real. But here's the difference. Do you see the difference? in our demeanor right now is you you have this i don't know if it's a bias i don't know if you're passionate about it i'm sure can i finish for a sec yes absolutely not to be dismissive no i hear you i know that you are clearly passionate about this which is great and i love when people are passionate about it it's also dangerous because when we get so passionate about something that we can't see the opposing viewpoints or even warrant hearing them that's how people get into you. these bubbles. But you but aren't you are, listening, but you're disagreeing with me, so I'm you're not, on the opposite side. I haven't disagreed side. with you at all. I have openly said that I don't know. <laughs> have I not repeatedly said I don't know? Oh, okay, you can throw in the I don't knows, but you're obviously arguing from a position that is pro. I'm uh, arguing to give pushback because you keep throwing out these things. So that you're saying that you're arguing just purely like uh, neutral on this. I'm trying to be. You're not. 
Oh, well, then I'm failing. But I'm, I mean, you're just not. You're, um, you're coming at it from the right because you want maybe because you just want to engage in debate with me. But you are coming at it from a right angled point of view. That's because you're only coming from the left. So I'm providing the counter argument. And the fact that you are so dismissive without even looking, you just seem to have this knowledge that I, I mean, I, keep, wait, 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 I can boil it down we can't for keep, you. We can't keep talking know, over but each other. I can other. boil it down for you and just wait, say that I, I have a firm thought about what's right and what's wrong. And I have a firm opinions on that. So did so, the Nazis. What does that mean? Oh, wait. Okay. Here we not, go. I'm not attributing. <laughs> I'm just saying people believe things. That doesn't mean that they're right. Okay. What is that? Well, I don't know what to tell you. I'm taking this stance. What are we? What are we at here? Yeah, it, 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 the definition that you had just a second ago. It may, which means gender affirming could care or could is not. a supportive form of healthcare. It consists of an array of services that may include medical, surgical, mental health, and non-medical services for transgender and non-binary. Yeah, may include may. But you were dismissive of even the may possibility. You said no, it doesn't because do that. I, Show me that it does that. It doesn't do that. You were so dismissive. Yeah, because I feel like when you tell me that you saw a Senate bill that going to now here here's i've been doing this a long time and so i have a certain idea about what goes what's real and what's not in certain things and i've heard a lot of claims made about transgender and non-binary all these like words that people throw out to scare people it's sort of like the critical race theory thing it's like a lot of it gives people the notion that there's a bunch of teachers out there that are trying to turn your kids gay and that's just not true. And I mean, I can't tell you how I know that. I just know it's true. And but so that's on this, so crazy. No, it's not. It's my opinion. I just I'm know that Santa opinion. Claus is true. I'm, I'm, you are. You are yeah, absolutely So then let me have it. Thanks. I'm, and now on a situation like this where you're like looking at it and you say, well, you, you come at me with, and there's a Senate bill. There's a Senate bill that allows kids under 13 to get surgery and hormonal treatment and it's a u.s senate bill and it's going to affect the whole country and i'm like no it's not that's not happening because i read up and on the on senate and i know what the legislations are that are currently pending we go to it and it's not what you made it out to be it says it may provide gender affirming care which has a whole suite of things i i mean i can just for my for my mind it doesn't pass the bullshit meter for the someone to say the government is going to go and make your kids change genders without parental permission. That just is not going to happen in this country. And I know it because I've been around a long time and I've followed governments and I've covered school districts. It's just ridiculous. And it, to say otherwise is scaremongering. And if you're trying to get views or clicks because you want to capture that like outraged portion of the population, I mean, it's just it's just not doing anyone a service. That's not happening. Kids are not getting turned gay or turned into an opposite gender by their schools without parents' permission in this country. It's just not happening. So you can tell me that I'm opinionated and whatever else, but it's true. And so then you throw up this bill and say, well, it could include this, but it doesn't. You're just kind of throwing out a bunch of misinformation and kind of scare people. If you read that bill, you would see that what I'm saying is true. So you can talk about like I have a I have a bias. Yeah, I have a bias against bullshit and misinformation. And if you're not going to take the time to read the legislation and figure out what it's actually saying before you go in public and tell people that they're going to have their kids get sex changed without parental permission, then that's irresponsible on your part. So maybe I mean like do the research before you ask me a question and try to corner me and whether or not I think the school districts are going to turn my kids gay. You know, it's 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 irresponsible. Woo. Well, I mean, I'm sorry. You're like you act like you're somehow the you know the, the above the fray kind of guy, but all you're doing is throwing out a bunch of bullshit that scares people, and then getting like pointing at me when I react and act like I'm the problem. 
I mean, the, the whole thing about discourse in this country is that you have people who like to throw around misinformation to get people to react, and then you act like you're somehow morally superior because you can be like, oh, well, you're biased or you're not, but you're throwing around things saying that kids are going to get gender-changing operations and medication from people without permission, and that's not what that bill says. And you say, well, how do I know that? Because I know that. And if you, if you can read it and prove it to me that there will absolutely change your kid's gender when this bill passes, then we can talk about it. But that's not what's going to happen because that's not what's happening. And even if one jackass in Washington proposed this bill, that's all that means. Anybody can, any member of the, the legislature in Washington can propose a bill and it'll end up on this thing here. And some guy like you can say, oh, look, they're going to come for our kids, folks. What are we going to do? Well, you know what? They're not coming for our kids. That's just not going to happen. It's scaremongering and it's sickening. You good? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, there was so much in that. I, yeah. I don't think I can unpack I got all more. Of that. I'm sure you do. I hope. I, I am enjoying this conversation. I know it's a little heated right now. I know. I, I just, you know, I mean, I enjoy. Are, wait, can I, can I finish? Too. I gotta. Sure. I'm sorry. I do. I do enjoy it. I love when things, you know, when people are just passionate about whatever they are passionate about i just worry you you just seem a little dismissive and that that worries me i i will openly sit here and say that i don't know and that i'm not sure but the fact that you are so die hard set in this idea of i know what i know whether it's because you've been in this field for so long or you have been around these things and yet we are pulling up things that whether true or not, are countering what you're saying, and you're still so dismissive of them. Without looking into it, without researching it, you have this this idea that it's just it's wrong because I know it is wrong. And when people get into that mindset, they put on these blinders, and that's I worry about that with the direction of our country. Is everybody's putting on these blinders? They have their information. They know that it's right. The opposite side is wrong. The opposite side is fear mongering. The opposite side is trying to ramp up. What did, you, what did you say? Try to ramp up whatever to get click. I would, you know, ramp okay, up. Wait, I'm not but done. But you did say I'm not that, done. that this is I'm what the Senate bill done. was doing. Let me finish. wasn't doing that. It's exactly what it said in that bill. I was wrong about the Senate, 100%. It was that's the Washington. Not what the bill I'm not said. done. I got to finish. But that's we not have what the to, bill If said. we're going to talk and have an open conversation, we <laughs> Can you just to, admit that you misrepresented it? Pull that. Go back to that. Can we... Can I finish my thought though? Can we just Sure, but I just want the audience you... to know that okay. that's not what the I, bill says. The said. audience is listening. They okay. will they hopefully I implore them to do their own research. I will try to throw up as many of these links as I can. Don't close any of these tabs. Where, where the fuck was I going with that? People they whether you're left, whether you're right, if you are a human, you can fall into the trap where for whatever reason you put on blinders and everything that is outside of your pure view is no longer real or relevant. And I think a lot of people are doing that. And I'm getting animated over here because that's what I'm seeing with you is you seem to have this, this bias. It seems that on some level you acknowledge it, but you also feel, I mean, you said it yourself. I know that it's right because I know it. And I said that's, I have firm ideas of what's right and what's wrong. That you can, you seem to have this idea that you've got this bullshit detector that is spot on, and yet every time I pull up something counter to that, you immediately dismiss it. That's what I keep coming back to: this dismissiveness, which is alarming. Because you are, I'm just a podcaster, man. I'm uh, not. But I can, but I can. Wait, I, I'm not. I I'm not done. To some of I know, that. I know. Please keep it in mind because I want to hear what you have to say. I'm just a podcaster. I'm out here on the internet. 
I, you're actually a part of the news. You're actually so are you. On, That's a podcaster. Saying, doesn't matter. You're you're a public yeah, information but source. Saying that people are going to listen to a 24 year old kid who openly. How many I, followers do you guys have? I have openly admitted repeatedly. How many followers? I. Can, just we're not going we're not going into that why not i have openly admitted that i don't because <laughs> you have an it, audience it that doesn't listens. matter if i have one person that listens it doesn't it's the matter same thing. you're doing the same thing i do you are the news <laughs> you are you okay. for better or worse yeah you have that branding and you are up on this pedestal hopefully Am I i'm not done tonight? i'm not done you're not oh i don't okay. know are you are you on? no i mean but i'm here i'm not i'm you brought me in as an individual no, yes, to but talk I'm about saying, my opinions if but if this conversation, which I hope is indicative of you as a person, you seem like a great guy. Absolutely. You seem passionate. And I'm sure that this energy carries into your broadcast, into your streams. If that worries me, because you are, for better or worse, attached to this organization that is cast as the news. Mm-hmm. And for you to be so dismissive of counter ideas, that's that worries me a little bit. And I might be, you know... Let my passion rise in me a little bit because we it got a little heated there for a second. But that is scary. If you, it's just as scary as if Tucker Carlson is up there and he's not talking about you know problems that are real because they don't fit into his agenda because he thinks his bullshit meter is so spot on that you know we don't need to investigate Trump. We don't need to look into Trump's corruption. We don't need. To, oh, why are all these people spending so much money at the Trump Hotel? We don't need to look into that because my bullshit meter is so spot on. Do you see how it goes both sides? There's a weird... Sure, sure. You don't see that. No, I mean, I do. I, I see what you're saying. I, You know, so just to be clear here, we're sitting here at a table. Um, you throw up articles on the internet. And now, I, you, you know the internet. I mean, you make some, hopefully some money on the internet. You recognize that um, anything can get pulled up by anybody on the internet that says anything, right? Um, you, uh, you started with the New York Post which I immediately dismiss because it's a owned by the same people who own Fox News and they are known for being a partisan hackery, a hack factory, as is the Post, okay? Um, and so I, I dismiss that out of place because they're talking about Hunter Biden's laptop and it's the New York Post. Um, and then we go to some other place where um, I'm shown a paragraph of what, uh, you know, I don't know what. I mean, if you are seriously making an argument rather than just trying to get a rise out of somebody... Um, how have I been trying? No, I, let how me talk. have I been trying to get a rise? Come out on, of you. I let you talk. You're right. You were right. Um, I just, I'm not shown. I'm not given an article and told to read it and give you my. I'm giving you a quick take based on what my standing opinions are, and from what I've noticed and from what I have researched, there is a definite tendency on the on the. I mean, you to exaggerate and to do certain things. And maybe that is a flaw of mine. You know, I can admit that, but, um, I'm doing it because I care. And I just, uh, I mean, to, to equate me who owns, uh, who runs headline Humboldt on key TV <laughs> and market 192, which means it's the 192nd smallest market in the country, which is maybe the smallest market in the country, if not, um, you know, should be, um, to Tucker Carlson for disinformation when I'm reporting on local news um, and I interview people about, uh, um, you know, all the issues that come around uh, in a local area. I, I don't cover, um, you know, abortion that, or I don't cover the Senate or I don't cover the House of Representatives. And except when I talk to Huffman about things that will affect the local you know area, I'm, I'm a local reporter. Um, it's just, it's, it's not a true reflection of like what's 
what my who I am or or what. I mean, like you. If we want to really talk about these things, I mean, I would like to be presented with information that I know that you've vetted, and then we can talk about that. If you want me to take seriously the arguments that, like, do I think that there are, uh, you know, uh, transgender, uh, what did you say, transgender uh, uh, child molesters or uh, something like that down in Florida who want to teach something or other? It's like my reaction when people talk that way is to get heated and get offended because I, I, I feel like I'm, it, it sounds like offensive ignorance to me. Um, do I think that there are not problematic teachers out there doing stuff that they shouldn't do? Yes. Do I think people who are um, trying to um, you know, divide this country and figure out ways to fight a culture war that'll get more votes um, are trying to scare people with things like um, you know, uh, critical race theory or uh, the, the gay, kids are going to catch gay or be taught gay or changed genders by weird Senate bills that don't actually say that? Uh, then I start to say, well, that's not what I'm seeing, and that's not true, because from what you showed me, that's not what it was saying, and what isn't true. So, I mean, I get that we can agree to disagree. Uh, I am, if, if, I, if it's problematic that I have opinions, I accept that, and um, I just know that on my show, I don't usually deal with issues that require this level of, like, uh, partisan, partisan um, again, hackery. I deal with what's going to affect How our local community. How can you be so dismissive? You keep of calling what? it partisan hackery. No, I'm These saying ideas. what I do. This, this, the, when I argue about, like, what I think about, like, so Democrats it's partisan, and Republicans. it's partisan hackery to discuss these bills and to discuss these ideas that are being propagated? No, the, the partisan hackery is taking one side and just arguing from that position. That's all you've done here. That's what I just said. So if that's were, partisan hackery? Yeah, I just said so that. So you're calling yourself a partisan hack? As much as anyone else is when they're talking about what their opinions are, yeah. I'm okay. saying well, that I am not, fair, not guilty. I am just as guilty as anyone else as have, having, having opinions and probably having blind spots. But nothing you showed me here today on that screen convinces me I'm wrong. I, I wouldn't expect it so, to from uh, your perspective. And I admitted when I first got here that I have opinions and I have a firm belief on what's right and what's wrong. And in fact, my show is um, has a disclaimer at the end that says the opinions expressed by the host of the show do not reflect the opinions of Keat TV because my boss knows I have opinions and people like them. So they keep tuning in. So, um, I'm allowed to have my opinions. I like Nobody, my opinions. Nobody's you're you kind a, of are. You, I mean, you kind of vilify. Well, I'm not, you just told me I'm like Tucker Carlson. I did, I did not yes, say you that. Did. I made a comparison between <laughs> you being on the you news. Said just, just like with Tucker Carlson, you know, it's that just is not as, at all. What I said, I said, okay. you being on the news, you are in a platform and it's as problematic for someone on the news. If I was if I was saying that I am imp an impartial newscaster, that's not what but I you do. Think have you watched my show? When we were doing... Have I've you watched I have seen some. Okay. I saw the so, one with Hansel. I liked it. Okay, so the show is basically me. The first two minutes is all opinion about whatever I want. I'm not, I'm not critiquing your but show. But it's not I'm straight not, news. I'm not I know, but you... Okay, well, you're saying I should be straight news. You categorize that as a weekly news recap, which I, would therefore imply that it well, is... I don't know who an, said that. I call it a public affairs show. I'm pretty sure it was. I mean, we, you know, we people we're describe just, things. We're going down a rabbit hole here, but it's. I'm just saying. It's in just, my job. I, I I'm just wanting you to know it. that it's, it's accepted. I have an opinion, and it's. I'm not. Uh, everybody condoned. has an opinion. No, I'm not attacking your opinion. What I'm attacking. I'm not even trying to attack anything. What I'm acknowledging is that you clearly have these very present biases. So do you. I a hundred percent. And whereas I have been sitting here this whole time trying to say, I'm not sure, I don't know, but here's this article that 
is directly counter whether it's whether it's true whether yeah. it's some kook just putting some random shit up on the internet which people do yes i'm at least acknowledging okay here's some evidence haven't fact checked i'm i'm getting this real time just like you are i haven't vetted this i haven't i'm as you know uneducated on these topics as you are right now and yet i'm sitting here saying here's this counter to this and you instantly dismiss that but everything that you're standing on it doesn't sound like you have solid research to back that up. You're just going off a gut feeling. Uh, this idea no, I, that there's hate being propagated. You keep coming back to this fear mongering. I, I hope you don't get the. I mean, I've like done research do. on all that, like with Virginia. And it the doesn't Virginia sound like it's race. very well researched. Well, then how? Well, what parts of it don't? You sound... just said uh, the whole fact that oh, this we were just talking about that Florida don't say gay bill. They're not teaching kids this, and we just pulled up an article kindergarten through third grade, and you're like, oh, well, that's not true. This is. I don't know what you said. You dismissed it. And then I was talking about the Senate bill. Warranted, not the United States Senate. And not 100%. anything that you said. Exactly what I said. That they were Pull that back up. We're going to end on say, this. Did this it is, say that they were going to do surgeries or health care? It said that they may. No. Which is all I said. No, that they, they didn't can. say they may. You found a description pull of what up. that term meant and pull it said may. No. Yes. That was the term too because you also said gender affirming care doesn't mean that. Here we go. The new law championed by Florida's GOP, Ron DeSantis. This is the wrong no, one. No, this is the wrong one. You're going to the, but just go to the bill and find it in it there where the it says bill. that it's it would do that. It's an 18-page bill. I would love to do that. I don't have time to sit here and so argue with you. So could you, you for um, maybe read it and add an addendum to this video Here's at the, the end that would say Here's this is the, what I'm it meant. I'm going to link it because I want people good, good, to read yeah, it. Yeah, do that. I'm willing to say I don't know. You're looking at but this. But you threw it in my face like this is happening. I said it is happening. Yeah, but you don't you know it's happening. you instantly dismissed it. You don't know but that you it's don't know, not. Okay, but I can come at you with anything and say something's happening. And if that's I, if I don't know it's not, it's still point. not a you good faith argument. To, you don't need to have an argument if you don't know. But you have these arguments and you don't because know. Because I don't believe that any state in this country is going to be who stupid believes, enough you, to, who, to do that. The idea of belief is And like is I a said, joke. even if it was a person who proposed it on the state senate of Washington, it's never going to pass. Your belief, and listen, it would be challenged what you in believe... Doesn't so it carry doesn't any water. This idea that because you believe it, it's true, or because you don't believe it, well, it's not like true. Well, just like you have fans, I have, we can't. Just keep, like we have, we can't you have talking fans over this, each other. Okay, well then let me talk. I was talking, <laughs> James. I I really enjoy this. I want to stand on a good note. I really have enjoyed having you here. There, there's a problem here, man. I don't know if I hit a sore spot or we just got a little too animated there in the end. You seem to be, and I. I am this just trying coming, to give as good as I get. That's this all is I'm coming from I, I do this a lot too, and I've been working on it. And I feel like I've been trying, maybe wrongfully so, or not adequately enough to try to ride the middle line. And I, I, I don't know where I was going with that. It's uh, if you've listened to this, please do your own research because we covered a Amen. lot, and Amen. we there's not really a solid a solid grounding either way yet. So please, please dig into this in your own way and. Uh, check it out just if you're interested look into it because there there's a lot there's a lot there james I, I really appreciate you coming on i hope you enjoyed this as much as i did i did it was uh, spirited he, very heated i love i, I, love I respect what things. you do and thank you for doing it i i i believe what i believe and so do you so i respect that 100 percent do you want to um, plug where people can find you, how they can yeah. watch your show? Um, so we have Headline Humboldt. It's on at um, 7 uh, p.m. on Friday nights on Key TV. That's 13.1. It will also be airing on Saturdays 
on World, although I'm not sure of the time, and I think 1.30 on Sundays. So that's one weekly show that will air three different times on Keat and Keat 5, if you have cable or broadcast. There's also a podcast that we do called uh, Crossing the Bar. Um, it's local history and talks about um, how our community has been changing and what um, it sort of focuses on the people that are responsible for that change and what it means to be transforming from a um, an industry, an extractive-based industry with logging and timber and fishing and becoming something new, even though we're not quite sure what that is. It's like a, it looks into the identity of Humboldt County and where that's going. Okay. So uh, that's available on all your podcast carriers uh, crossing the bar. Okay. Well, James, thank you. I'm sorry to cut it so abrupt there. I, I got to get out of here. No, it's been a long, long um, chat. Yeah, we, I, I want to end it on this. I appreciate the fact that we could just have the conversation, which is all, you know, every podcast that I go into, I just want to be able to talk. I don't know where it's going to go. I didn't have any, this is my notes. It's just says your name and headline humble. Yeah, no. So everything were... we talked about was just off the I don't cuff. believe there was an agenda. Yeah. Um, I appreciate the open discourse. I will not discredit you for at least being open. And being <laughs> but you'll discredit me for other things. I won't discredit you for anything. <laughs> I, I have my own interpretations and you have yours. And I just, I'm happy that we could sit here and have the discussion because a lot of people are not doing that. Yeah. And I, I mean, no matter what side you come down on, if you're uh, pursue an informed opinion and no matter where you end up, uh, I respect that. So um, I would like to point out that at the bottom of the screen, it says every day is a new beginning. Take a deep breath and start again. So. I think that's that's fitting. That's fitting for how we ended this. <laughs> All right, James. Thank you. Uh, right, thank you. Headline humbled, everyone. Yeah.